Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at naturelogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. Krupa's Natural Health Hour. I am your host, Dr. Krupa, and as always, we are broadcasting from my version of the Garden of Eden. Uh, everything except an apple tree, because as I always tell you, I try to learn from history, and Adam didn't do well with the apple, and I don't see any reason to try to follow in his footsteps. Um, this evening, if you were listening to Hesh right before me, uh, you heard him talking about vaccines and canola oil. Well, vaccines, I agree with them uh, completely. Terrible, bad news. Uh, it's strictly about business and very little about any kind of health care. In fact, I'm convinced if you took a dictionary to the guys that push vaccines, they couldn't spell healthcare if you gave them a half hour in the dictionary. So it's strictly business and they forgot what we're doing and why we're doing it and why we're supposed to be doing it. Canola oil. This one drives me crazy. He was talking about people out there who say they have organic canola oil. Well, there's no such thing. What happened is they took this rapeseed plant, which is just nasty tasting, bitter, and because of that, they use it in a lot of pesticides. And it's just one of those natural things that bugs don't like, so man learned to use it. Well, up in Canada, hence the name Canada Oil or Canola Oil, they start using this rapeseed and called it canola oil. Now, I can taste it if it's in something. 
Now, usually I try to be smart enough not to buy something with canola oil in it, but there's been a few times that I was fooled, so I've learned to look even closer. But it has a bitter, miserable taste. One time I was at the Texas Red Adopt Festival, and there was a booth selling all these wonderful salsas, and there was a, a local guy in the, in the area he wasn't there, but he had somebody working the booth for him. And they had a all-natural organic salsa. And it was close to the end of the day. And I was wore out tired, and I just took it for granted that the label was truthful. Well, I got it home, and I wanted to taste it, and I stuck a chip in there. And I've tasted that bitter, nasty taste of the rapeseed canola oil taste. So then, much too late and feeling really stupid, I decided to read the ingredients. And God only knows why they did this. They had great ingredients, including olive oil, and then they added canola oil on top of that. Now that's like grandma baking a cake from scratch ingredients and then pouring some synthetic looks like icing on top and saying, cake's ready. I mean, it's just horrible. So when I saw these ingredients, there was a number on the jar, and I called the gentleman up and I said, now I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm offering free advice. I said, I practice nutritional health care. My patients will never buy this product. And I was foolish enough to buy it because I didn't read your ingredients. Well, his first response was, well, they told me that they fixed that. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, he said, somebody looked into it for us and they said they genetically modified and engineered um, whatever was bad with the rapeseed plant, and now they, they call it a canola plant that they've created. So now they're playing God. And I told him, I said, well, number one, why would you put this crap in a great salsa where you already had olive oil? What on earth would make you do that? Well, he didn't know, and he didn't want to listen. And I said, well, you know, one day you're going to look back and you're going to say that Dr. Krupa called me and for free took his time and offered good advice to take that crap out of my salsa. I had enough good ingredients already, and I ignored him. But you, I said, you're going to remember that somebody tried to help you that wasn't trying to get something in return. Well, unfortunately, he didn't listen, and I threw that crap away. Uh, if I would have remembered, I'd have sent it to some corrupt liberal politician because they they like that um, GMO kind of stuff, and they don't care if it's real or not, and they think they know what's best for everybody, so I'd have sent it to them and let them have it freely. Uh, we are on American Voice Radio. I forgot to mention that starting off. It's AmericanVoiceRadio.com. 
we are satellite and internet and you can listen by phone and in some markets I think it's AM and FM even. So uh, if, if you want to call in, the number is 1-800-932-1980. You can also go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and if you click on any of the links on the left that say listen, it'll bring you to the page where you can just click on the arrow and hear the live show. You can go there and look up uh, archives. The archives stay up for a week uh, after the show airs, and I think if you want them longer than that, you can always contact Frank. He's the producer and the owner of the station, and I'm sure he would be glad to help you with that. Uh, but there is a section there on the homepage where you can do donate. We greatly appreciate that. If you're sending something to me, gold bars would be highly depreciated. And uh, there is a donation page there, though, and, and the, the station would greatly appreciate anything you can do in the way of donations. Uh, always appreciate it so we can help put out a great product. One of the things I want to discuss tonight was people are always asking me about health fair and test. And I've lost count of how many times people said, well, how or well are you going to know things are working if you don't do all these tests. Well, first off, I listen to the patient. And if the patient listens to the inside of that patient, I'll know more than any test could ever tell me. I have never in 20 years sent a patient for an X-ray, an MRI, a blood test, a, a scan of any kind hair analysis, saliva test, any of those that told me more than the patient told me if I would just listen. And that's why you'll always hear me say, be very quick to listen and very slow to speak. They say the most successful people in the world listen very well and then when it's time to speak, they take all that that they heard and put it with what they already knew, and they're much more educated when they open their mouth. The people that are not so successful are sitting there waiting for their turn to speak, and they're not listening. And some of the greatest listening we should ever do is when people don't agree with us. But do it respectfully, but listen and argue your point respectfully and let them argue theirs. And both of you will learn something. But anyway, on the test, I just have never found any of them that told me more than the patient. Patients love tests sometimes. Sometimes they like numbers. Sometimes I meet patients who have had more tests than I can imagine. Some of them have had more tests in a couple of years than you would expect in a lifetime. And they've made some people very, very wealthy from all the tests. And the only good thing that test does is for the people that like to prescribe a lot of junk is it gives them something to try to scare you with and push you in the direction of a medication, of a treatment. Uh, just the other day, a very wonderful lady calls me and she said, I forgot to tell you 
that they did an x-ray of my lungs a while back and they said they found a pin the size of a pinhead or a very small like a BB maybe a little bigger of something on one of my lungs and that we better watch it well I imagine if you took an x-ray or MRI or CAT scan that you would find little bitty things all over everybody's body at some point in time. The body deals with this kind of stuff on a regular basis. But they love to scare you. The reason I'm against any kind of health fair health screening is I have heard so many horror stories about healthy people going to the health fair health screening and ended up in the hospital are dying because one test led to a prescription or, or a treatment and everything dominoed in a negative direction. There was a, I think she was 78 or 80 years old and she was out somewhere and they had one of those health fairs set up. So she decided to go do it because of course Checking on how I'm at and knowing where I'm at, well, what a wonderful idea, you would think. Well, she went through the health screening, and they told her her blood pressure was a little high. Well, first off, the lady's almost 80 years old. As you age, your blood pressure is a little higher than the textbook. And I hate to break it to those guys, but the body has never read a textbook. It doesn't know how it's supposed to act according to your book so you can prescribe a medication. So they told this woman that her blood pressure was high. They recommended blood pressure medicines as they call them. I call them poison because they slow the heart down. They don't let it pump the blood properly. They damage other muscle tissue because the heart is a muscle. Uh, they can cause the blood not to get through the lungs properly so that you don't oxygenate the blood correctly. There's a whole list of terrible things that you can have happen to you doing so-called blood pressure medicines. Well, they put her on one. This woman at that time, according to her son, was taking no medication and had never taken any medication other than maybe an antibiotic or something over the years when they, you know, went to the doctor and they thought she had an infection or whatever. Well, very quickly, her health started to deteriorate. She wasn't feeling very good, so she went to another doctor. The other doctor didn't pay much attention to the fact that she was uh, on a blood pressure medicine, he just prescribed something else for the heart and a blood thinner. So now we have a woman who never took a medication in her life. She's almost 80 years old. And if she might have been 80, I'm not positive on the age, it was 78 to 80. And she's on three medications. She starts getting dizzy, feeling nauseous, weak, hurts, 
things just aren't right. So finally, her son gets involved, and they took her to another doctor, and they ended up uh, putting her on something for her nerves. Well, now she's really messed up. All this from going to a health fair and letting them tell you your blood pressure was a little bit high. And evidently, they don't study very well, or they know that somebody 80 is going to have a little different blood pressure than somebody 25. So anyway, she ends up in the hospital finally. And while she's in there, they decide that she needs uh, an angiogram done and that she's got blockage and they need to do bypass and do all this stuff. Well, she never got to come home. And it's very sad that a very healthy woman going through the health fair system ended up losing her life, leaving this earth way too soon, who had been healthy forever. So I tell people all the time, stay away from people that push all the tests, all these special treatments, all these special prescriptions, and even in the natural health world, there are a lot of doctors carrying a lot of crap that nobody should be taking, but they're doing it because the company they deal with takes good care of them if they sell their stuff. And a lot of the products that people recommend, you can get over the counter on the internet in a health food store. So they're really not a big deal because anybody can get them anywhere. Many, many people waste, oh, I've had them up to $400 a month, maybe even more, buying junk that either was recommended to them by some doctor or the doctor carried a bunch of stuff in his office with his name on the label that was crap and recommended those products and people take them because they're scared. People want to be healthy, they want to live a long time, and they don't realize that most all the over-the-counter internet stuff is strictly about sales, is nothing about healthcare, and that's why anybody can buy it. I have posted a thing on Facebook uh, over the last week because I use probably 99% standard process and MediHerb products. And the two companies aren't the same company, but they are so close in philosophy and caring about the patients that they work together. Uh, MediHerbs and Palmyra, I mean, MediHerb is in Australia and Standard Processes in Palmyra, Wisconsin. But the two companies only sell to licensed healthcare professionals. They can make a lot more money selling on the internet, health food stores, grocery chains, you name it, they can make a lot of money selling stuff that way. But they were started by doctors, they're run by doctors, and they want your health care supervised by a doctor. They don't want you 
shotgun effect and just buying stuff because you heard the name. They want somebody that they help make sure he stays educated or she helping you with your care. If you call Standard Processor MediHerb, one of the first questions they're going to ask you is, do you have a doctor? And if not, we will be glad to find one for you in your area. It's, uh, they eliminate a middleman by using this system, so the prices are always better. But the big difference is the products are fabulous. Years ago, when I was even dumber than I feel sometimes today, I had had all kinds of companies come to me wanting me to push their products. And I didn't know enough about ingredients to really make good decisions, so I tried a few different companies, and I never saw any good really come from any of their stuff. And every time I would go to a seminar, and especially I was pursuing nutrition, so uh, I finally ended up with an applied clinical nutrition certificate, but we studied some nutrition in medical school, but it was just my passion. For some reason, there's just a fire inside of me about nutritional health care and doing things the right way. And I'm not in sales, and if the only thing you think is that I'm talking about a product is about sales, I don't want you to get it because that's not what I'm about. But anyway, I noticed at the seminars that any time there was somebody that had success treating a patient, it was always coming back to standard process and Medier. And I thought, okay, there's something to this. And then one weekend, by the grace of God, I found a seminar in Dallas. And I went up there, and it turned out it was sponsored by Standard Process and Mediherb. And it was an eye-opening, earth-shattering, it was just, it was unbelievable. I met more and more people that, like me, had noticed that when they were getting better, it was always coming back to standard process and Mediherb. And because the company made sure we stayed educated, then we were able to help the patients. And they really pride themselves on making sure that you have a healthcare practitioner every step of the way. They don't want to be a giant store that takes so much away from quality healthcare, just terrible. But I left that weekend, and it was a wonderful weekend, a lot of good nutrition. There was a, a Dr. Jeannie Ohm who also taught us uh, about delivering babies, her and her husband had had three children and all three delivered at home. Um, that was an eye-opener. We learned about breech babies. We also learned that if you tilt the damn bed down with the mother having the baby, that gravity helps bring that baby out and mom don't have to push so hard. But you'll never see that on TV or in a hospital. Um, they also talked about all the synthetic junk vitamins that they try to push down these young moms and moms-to-be, what they call natal and prenatal, that are terrible for the mom and the baby. 
And so it was a good good weekend. I learned a lot, and when I walked away, there was no doubt in my mind that standard process and MediHerb is where God was sending me, and it just was what worked, and it was the right things, and they made sure we stayed educated. They're, they are so good about helping us with an education and keeping us on top of everything. And they they are just amazing at the science level, and the company is still family-owned. It's just, just a wonderful thing. One of the things I always remember was a gentleman named Mark Anderson. He was not a doctor, but it, in the nutritional world, he could have been if he wanted. He was uh, a rep for a very large area of the country. And the last thing he told us as we were leaving that, that weekend was he said, many times people are down on their hands and knees praying to God for some miracle medicine that they think the pharmacy is going to have for them. And he said, they need to look around because God's looking down saying, I already gave it to you. It's already here. It's natural, and you just don't know where to look yet. And I always remember that because a lot of people are praying, looking for the miracle cure, and they don't realize that it's already here. And doctors like me, we've been doing this from the beginning. They always like to say alternative health care, alternative radio. Well, I don't agree. We're the mainstream. We've been around the longest. This kind of radio station been around the longest where people communicated and talked and told the truth and shared opinions. Uh, the mainstream guys that think they're not alternative, they're the alternative ones because they're bought and paid for. Whether it's health or the news, it's highly politicized. Anyway, we're at that time of the evening to take our break. Please hang with me, Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour, here on American Voice Radio, and we will be right back. tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at naturelogic.com. 
you will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. for a couple minutes about what I call a box list. And these people are my friends, but more important than that, they're people that I trust and respect. I know they'll take good care of you like they always have me. First is Steve O'Brien of Quality Computers. And whatever your computer needs, from home to office, IT, intercoms, PA systems, uh, monitoring, he'll take care of you. 830-998. 4381, he's in the Fredericksburg, Giuseppe County area, but many things he can do online where you don't even have to take the computer to him, and he works all over the place. Krupa's Natural Health Hour on AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Uh, the call-in number if you have suggestions, questions, uh, if you'd like to have a particular guest on, let me know. It is 1-800-932-1980, and we'd love to hear from you. We were uh, wrapping up talking a little bit about health fairs and tests and all that good stuff. And what I tell people all the time If you need the peace of mind of seeing the numbers on a blood test or a report from an X-ray or an MRI, hair analysis, saliva test, we'll do it. I'll gladly do it. 
I love tests only from the point of view that I get to look at that stuff and figure out uh, if I see everything like the radiologist saw or if I see anything that grabs my eye. But, I'm, but I've never been surprised yet if I listen to the patient. They made me look very smart. I need all the help I can get. And they're better at telling you what's going on than anybody. They, may, they might not know what the gallbladder does, but they know if it hurts. And they'll describe it, and you can look really smart helping them. So unless you're just really into numbers and tests and you want to see all that stuff, I say don't do it. Now, my friends that run diagnostic centers and things like that, they cringe when I say that. But the truth is the least amount of tests and radiation and needles in your arm and scans, the better. Uh, I haven't checked my blood pressure in 25 years. Uh, it got tested once because I had to get some insurance. But I, I have people call me, well, my blood pressure's a little high. And I check it every day, sometimes twice a day. Well, of course it's a little high. You're worried about it, and you're checking it all the time, and just checking it makes it a little higher. I, I don't care about that number. Quit doing that. I always tell them, just tell me how you feel. Pay attention to how you feel. If your blood pressure is running a little high, you'll know quicker than that silly cuff that puts on there and gives you some numbers. And then if the numbers aren't perfect, there's always somebody somewhere ready to put you on a medication that will make sure the numbers look good while you're being destroyed. I don't want to do that to you. I also don't want to see you waste your money on synthetic vitamins and minerals and all that over-the-counter crap and Internet crap and get sicker and sicker. Most of the time when I meet patients, I tell them, if you just stop taking all that crap you're buying, you'll be healthier right there. Then if you like, I'll make suggestions and, and we'll take it from there because the products I'm going to give you, I believe in. And this is another thing I always tell people. If the doctor you go to talk to doesn't practice what he preach, run like hell. Because a lot of times they're pushing a protocol, a regular little group of products that they believe in, especially if it's an MD and they're pushing the pharmaceutical stuff. They've got, as one pharmacist told me one time, he said the only reason most of those MDs know what to prescribe is they call him constantly until they memorize 10 or 12, and then they go for a long time until something new comes up. But they have a scope of practice, and their scope of practice does not let them do what I do. So if they're, if they're not prescribing and pushing the pharmaceutical route, they're going to be in trouble. Well, that's why I'm not an MD. I, my conscience would let me do that. I have no interest. The only thing that interests me in the, in the MD world would be maybe emergency room because those guys are a specialty. They can sew the little boy's arm back on. They can save a life. Uh, it's, it's amazing what they do in an emergency room, but that's a specialty all to itself. God bless them. 
and that's the only kind of MDs that truly interest me. Uh, I have no use for those that are always pushing medication, especially when it comes to psychological stuff. A lot of times you have a hormone imbalance. Um, when I was a kid, they called a lot of the stuff that happened mood swings, or they'd say, you're moody or you're in a bad mood today. Well, today that's bipolar and you need medication A, B, and C. What I find when I get them in the office is they have a hormone imbalance. The thyroid and the adrenals are in trouble. They're asking us to help. We balance all that out. We make sure estrogen dominance goes away and they're not having estrogen through the roof. Uh, so many things that we can do like that that just turns all that around. But you can't sell great medications without all these crazy diagnoses that exist today. There's a, a DSM manual. Uh, I don't have a current one. I, I had an older version from school many years ago. But in that book, it tells them all the psychological uh, diagnoses, and then they can go from there and prescribe accordingly. And to me, that's... You know, if somebody does have a problem and you don't fix the problem or even try, you're just painting over the rust and it's going to get worse. So I, I'm not much for that kind of stuff at all. A lot of health care comes down to common sense and simple. I, I had a friend tell me the other day that some doctor who I haven't seen in a long time uh, said that I wasn't uh, modernized and up up with the times. Well, I'm very modernized and up with the times. Uh, I was doing laser before it was popular. I do 3D body scans for custom orthotics for your feet. Uh, I have interferential, Russian, all kinds of different stimulation things on my equipment. And I was doing nutritional natural health care for a long time. But what he was talking about is in this modern era of ours, especially on the chiropractic side, they have these management systems that teach these guys, tell your patient they need three visits a week for six months. Uh, you only spend a few minutes with them each visit, and you get bring them up to the counter, and the girls will be trained. Uh, the doctor wants to see you three times a week for six months. And uh, this will be how much it costs. Your insurance, if you have insurance, will pay this much. Uh, if you don't, or even if you do, this is your part of the bill. How would you like to pay for that part of the bill? And we do have this credit card system right here at the counter. We can sign you up for this today. And that's what they call modernization today. They also call some of the, uh, I guess you call it a distraction, traction modern table. There was a big, big thing a few years back, big push, very expensive, and uh, they'd make you do like 20 or 30 visits in a row, and this thing would very slowly stretch you out and then release and stretch you out and release. Well, I do that in a few visits, but I break that free. You have compression. The last thing you need is for us to drag it out to 20 or 30 visits and lightly move that and be delicate. We break it free. 
I treat it. I treat it on the inside so we can heal the damaged disc and tendons and ligaments and nerves, take care of the inflammation. Then after I broke it free on my dusting table, I do an inversion table to stretch things out. I do laser therapy to heal it at the cell level. And so I'll see sometimes in two or three visits a complete turnaround. And then I tell the patient, they say, well, when do I need to come back? And I say, well, it's always good to do a follow-up. A lot of patients will come in once a month. Whatever your body tells you, listen to your body and come in when it tells you to. And they're blown away because the other places they went told them you need three visits um, a week for six months. They put them on them special traction tables, and they said it didn't do anything. And they'll tell me, I did that for 20 visits, and what you did in three was 10 times more relief than what they did in all those visits. And I said, well, that's why I do this. But I said I could have bought one of those tables, but it didn't interest me. Now, I did have a massage therapist, and I had a hydro massage table in my old office, but I don't have that. I'm in a smaller office right now, so I don't have room. But that's a nice thing to do, uh, massage therapy with a, with a seasoned therapist that knows how to do the work with the doctor's office is a fabulous thing. So anyway, most of it comes down to common sense. If, if it sounds like they're blowing smoke, they probably are. You have to watch because a lot of doctors think they need to talk down to you. I'm the doctor. You don't know what's going on. It reminds me a lot of times of the government. It's like the government thinking that you're not smart enough to make your own decisions, so they've got to make laws to protect you. Well, this is how the doctors talk. Me, doctor, you not. And the doctors forget that you work for the patient. You're supposed to give them the tools to make good decisions help them be healthy, direct them in the right direction, and even if they want to do something stupid, you let them know it's not a good thing, but you don't go crazy, you don't get mad. Uh, maybe sometimes the patient and the doctor just shouldn't be working together, but the doctor needs to remember that you're not above them. Whatever that patient does for a living is just as important is what that doctor does for a living. It's just a different job. And I know I was an electrician for a long time, and it was a very important job. We did a lot of good things, and I did a lot of troubleshooting and repair, and it was very important where we were and what we did. Well, now I, I'm working with people, and uh, I troubleshoot and repair and heal and do all that. So it, it's, it's a pretty neat thing. All right. People always ask me about my 3D body scanner in, in the office here. And what it is, I do custom orthotics for your feet. Now, I've had a lot of patients come to me from podiatrist office, and they'll have plantar fasciitis, and they put them in this giant boot, and 
usually there's a heel spur associated with it from the tendon pulling tight, and they want to do surgery and cut that off. Well, the problem with that is if the, the ankle, just like the wrist, the, the wrist has carpal bones, the ankle has tarsal bones, and the foot should float, and these joints should move freely, but they'll get fixated, and they'll lock up, and the foot goes from floating as you walk to flopping. You'll, you'll feel that weirdness when you hit the ground. So I adjust the ankles and the feet. I get in there and break up that fascia because what's happened is the fascia pulls tight because the joint isn't functioning properly. And it'll pull the Achilles tendon in particular across the, the uh, heel and it will make a bone spur. Well, they'll cut that bone spur off, put them in a $400 boot and do nothing for the plantar fasciitis and I end up seeing them because people, word gets around. I've seen a lot of plantar fasciitis, and so a lot of people come to me. And then what I do, once we got everything working right, if they're interested, we do a custom orthotic. Now, the, the podiatrist and a lot of companies do a custom orthotic, they say, but it's only for your main arch. And... The body, the foot, has three arches. It has a medial longitudinal arch, uh, which is uh, on the on the uh, inner side of your foot. It has a outer lateral longitudinal arch, and then across the balls of your feet, uh, it has an anterior transverse metatarsal arch. So you've got three arches. And when you do a custom orthotic, it needs to address all three arches. So if you go to the drugstore and you get on a machine and it says you need number 44, that's treating just the outer arch, which is not going to solve any problems. Uh, you want to address all three arches. And when we do this, I do a 3D body scan. So what it does it shows me your shoulders, your hips, your knees, and your feet and ankles. And it also can tell me where the problems are, how much pronation or, or uh, supination is going on. It'll, it'll just show me everything. And it'll show how the arches are, all three of them. And then it'll make a recommendation. And when it makes a custom orthotic, it addresses all three of those arches and it's made just for your foot, nobody else. So it won't work if you give it to somebody else in the family. It just won't do it. So that's pretty neat. So Foot Levelers is the company I use, uh, and I've been doing custom orthotics for a long time. We used to do a mold of your foot, and that worked pretty well. But this 3D body scan is the way to go nowadays, and it's absolutely fabulous. People also ask me about what kind of tennis shoes I like, what's good for support. And if you're a jogger, a runner, or somebody that's on your feet a lot, then the best shoe I have ever found, and I wear them, is called Z, as in zebra, coil. And some people say, I can't wear them, they look funny. 
Well, I've never liked being part of the big crowd. I, I kind of like to do things a little different. And I like them because they work wonderful, and they are a little different looking. It's kind of neat. A lot of people ask you, where'd you get them? They like them. And sometimes people will say, I could never wear them. They don't look good. But they have a wonderful ability to take about 60 to 65% of the compression on your poor body off of it when you walk or jog. So if you used to run a mile, you're going to feel like you could run 5 or 10 with these things on because they just work that well. You can go to zcoil.com and check them out. They have all different kinds, some of them where the spring isn't shown, some where it is. Uh, I've had old pairs that I use to cut the grass and work in the yard. I've got better pairs that I use sometimes to work in the office. Sometimes I use them to go walk or jog or whatever I want, but they're wonderful shoes, uh, Z-coil, so pretty neat. Uh, I had some people ask me why a lot of us doctors don't do the insurance companies anymore. Well, it was okay. I mean, the, doing insurance companies before Obamacare hit was a headache, but it it was worthwhile headache because we made enough to compensate for all those headaches. I mean, they would get you like the, you had to have a special program to file electronically, and the companies that sold the software, if there was ever a change to be made, they wouldn't let you make a change in the software. You had to buy a whole new upgrade to the program. Perfect example was they had these uh, NPI numbers come out years ago, and we used to have the doctor number, but then this national physician the identification number came out and we all had this number and we had a pretty expensive software program to keep track of your patients, do the electronic filing, all the billing, keep track of everything. And uh, when that NPI number come out, it was another couple thousand dollars to get upgrades to your program so you could put the NPI number in. They couldn't just let you fix it, put it in there. but. We used to, like in my office, a typical visit on the chiropractic side, if you came in for the doctor of chiropractic side, was an hour. The first visit was a little longer because we did an exam. But my therapist would work on you 25 minutes, and I would see you the rest of that time. And I would do everything. I did um, laser. I did interferential current. I adjusted you from head to toe. I mean, we did all the extremities. We did all the main uh, lumbar and cervical and, and uh, thoracic. I checked your feet, ankles. I checked your wrist, your, your fingers. You name it, TMJ joints, we checked it all. And we, and we worked on you a good solid hour. I mean, nobody got cheated. Uh, after the therapist worked on them, I still did my thumper massager. I still did some tissue work if I found something. I did the inversion table. Um, it, it was a lot. Well, we didn't get paid a whole lot for all that back then, but, again, it paid the bills. 
and um, we survived, and it wasn't too terrible, and the patients, their co-pays weren't too bad, and their deductibles weren't too terrible back then, so we all survived. It was it was a uh, tolerable situation, but a lot of a lot of things you had to jump through to get stuff done. Well, I swear to God, it was so amazing that two weeks after Obamacare got signed, we were waiting on payment on some claims, and where we would have normally got about $2,500 on average over 25 patients that we were waiting on, we got a check for $500. That didn't even cover our expenses. We were way, way negative. I mean, it didn't even pay for the therapist, not to mention the office manager, the electricity, the the taking care of the yard, and, and I did most of that work myself. And so there was some new company called American Specialty Health, and we called them up and said, what in the world is going on? Some of the claims, and I'll never forget this, one of them paid $2.37 for an hour in my office. And I called this lady up, and I said, what is going on? She said, well, we're the new middleman between you and the insurance company, and our job is to decide what gets paid and recommended. Basically, if they didn't screw over the doctor and the patient, that insurance company didn't need the middleman, and they weren't going to earn their money, so they had to do a pretty good job of screwing us over. Well, she tells me, she said, Dr. Krupa, you do seven different modalities each visit. I said, yes, ma'am, I do every one. It's legit. It's true. I said, I don't write anything down we don't do, and you're welcome to send in somebody anytime unannounced, and they can come check. But she said, we only pay $12.87 for each item you do, but we only pay for one item on a given day. She said if they'd have came in seven days in a row, we'd pay twelve eighty seven for each item over seven days. So basically twelve eighty seven times seven. I said, Do you realize we spend an hour with them? And she said, Well I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. And I said, Some of these claims are two dollars and thirty seven cents. It's not even the twelve. And she said, well, that's because we took this out or we didn't think this was right. And the prices that you have in a doctor's office, they come right out of a book. You don't get to make up your own prices. So we we were just screwed. And, and I finally just had to get out of the insurance because the patient's deductibles went through the roof. Uh, their co-pays went through the roof. And I just picked some fair cash prices to make it where we can all survive. Anyway, it's getting close to that time of the evening, and I'd like to tell everyone how, what a pleasure and an honor it is to be a part of your week, part of your health care. Uh, I hope, like the song says in the beginning, that whatever condition your condition's in, that we help improve it. We help you make better decisions. We stop people from being able to lie to you. Um, as I always say, 
please be very, very quick to listen and slow to speak. And may God keep you and bless you with health and happiness. And God willing, we will be back here next week. Same time, the archive show will be posted later on. And I really, really appreciate everybody being here. So good night or good afternoon or good day, wherever you happen to be. And we will see you next Wednesday. Thank you very much. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned, I always built to last on weakened, shifting sand. I live by night and shun the naked light of day. And only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday, when I was young. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, 
Have peace and request your pandemic kit today or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 or online, thepowerherbs.com. Is your PSA count high? Half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the prostate kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. Call Apothecary Herbs for the prostate kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the prostate kit and empower yourself. Toll free, 866-229-3663 or international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk Live. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I have a great show. We are going to be talking about gallbladder problems. And we've talked about gallbladders before, uh, but we got some new information about some medications that you might be aware of that could cause the gallbladder to have issues. Uh, Also, we're going to be touching on uh, liver cancer, and if we get time, little bit of a prostate update for those of you that worried about prostate issues. We've got some tidbits we can, you know, touch on. We've talked about prostates too, but we all want to refresh those topics from time to time and keep you aware. And we have a quack report, but before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper fi to our righteous men and women in uniform, always lifting them up in prayer, praying that you all are hitting the knees and seeking Lord's face every day. That's how you nurture a relationship, you know. It's constant in touch. Well, I was in my beautiful uh, journal. This is my um, uh, dedication journal that my children gave to me uh, for Mother's Day. And this is just a really sweet prayer. It's based on Acts 4 and John 16, and it goes like this. This is in my uh, devotional. If you want to go pick one up, you can get them at the bookstore. But anyway, it says, whenever you feel distant from me, whisper my name in loving trust. This simple prayer can restore your awareness of my presence. My name is constantly abused in the world, where people use it as a curse word. This verbal assault reaches all the way to heaven. Every word is heard and recorded. 
And when you trustingly whisper my name, my aching ears are soothed. The grating rancor of the world's blasphemies cannot compete with a trusting child's utterance, Jesus. The power of my name to bless both you and me is beyond your understanding. Amen to that. So uh, seek Lord's face, mind the time, pray for righteousness and leadership in this land because we're going to need it. And without further ado, let's do the crack report. All right, Frank, thanks. Uh, first up in the crack report, psychiatrists are now prescribing antidepressants for uh, couples in marriage therapy. Oh. oh, yeah, being in an unhappy marriage can impact your daily life, make you depressed. So uh, depression and marital conflicts often go hand in hand, we're being told, and this is a vicious cycle, not only Will the unhappy relationship make you depressed? But being depressed can turn negatively impact your marriage relationship. So according to this new study that was published at Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine, psychiatrists today are opting for the easy way and prescribing a lot of antidepressants for their couples in therapy rather than addressing the cause of the problem. Because if you were, if you were concerned enough to get depressed about it, you should be concerned enough to address it without kind of, you know, stuffing your feelings with a bunch of, you know, chemical medications. Now, antidepressants have become the first line of treatment for a broad range of ailments and conditions, including both unhappy marriages now and also binge eating. So um, there was this review that was published in the Journal of the Annals of Internal Medicine that found that talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, is an effective most um, is, is effective even uh, better than antidepressants, according to uh, their research. But you know what? It's even better than that. You know, seek in the Lord's face and get in the Bible. If you want to be undepressed, there you go. You just get in there. And uh, what is that? The family that prays together stays together? Mm-hmm. Totally believe that. A uh, little herb here and there can help you out. Instead of going to the drugs, try some valerian root. It'll just lift your mood a little. All right, moving along in the quack report. Oh, going to go to Morocco. A nurse over there was suspended from her job, and she's facing disciplinary action because she was protecting children from expired vaccines. You'd think she'd be applauded, but no, no. A nurse from northern Morocco refused to administer a large amount of vaccines to children in the rural health center at Al-Hosemia, and she stopped because she said the lots on the on the vaccines were expired. And also she found that the uh, vaccines weren't stored properly. In a, they were in an unsustainable environment. And they weren't handled and, and stored properly at the right temperature, which uh, can make the vaccines dangerous to be administered. So on the 16th of June and on the 20th of June, um, her name is Asara al Fai. Fei-Fi, I think that's how you pronounce it, Fei-Fi, Fei-Fei. Anyway, she, she wrote some letters notifying the public officials about the potentially contaminated vaccines. And did she get a pat on the back? No. Her letters went ignored, but her supervisors verbally um, intimidated her. And uh, they and, and she, if she was going to refuse to give the vaccines, they were going to... Um, 
send her to a disciplinary committee meeting and get punished. That's what she's going. So, um, uh, yeah, just, you know, just be compliant. Just, just, you know, we're pray, prayer protection over that nurse right there. Uh, last but not least in the crack report, um, dogs are suffering allergic reactions and even death by a popular vaccine made by Merck. Dog owners and veterinarian associations of the United Kingdom are warning about the rash and dangerous side effects of a popular vaccine for dogs. Uh, the disease in question is called leptospirosis. Very mild. It's usually um, not even uh, a disease in the UK. Therefore, the vaccine is considered optional. It's mostly um, in. And uh, you get it from infected urine from wild or domestic animals, most common in poor rural areas or tropical areas of Eastern Europe. So in the UK, it's not even not even an issue, really, and so it's optional. But they still sell a million doses of this stuff in the UK every year. If pet owners just, you know, figure, figure well, the vet wouldn't hurt my dog. <laughs> well... Uh, the World a Small Animal Veterinarian Association disagrees with the recommendations uh, on this uh, leptospirosis vaccine. It's called Novavoric L4, and they say you shouldn't give it to uh, puppies younger than nine weeks, but the, um, the Animal Veterinarian Association says you shouldn't even give it to pets that are younger than 12 weeks. Uh, because of adverse reactions, some of the reactions over 2,000 reports of serious adverse effects of seizure, immune system failure, and 120 deaths. So, um, give you pause, shouldn't it? We did a show on vaccines and pets. If you missed it, go to the archives and check it out. Here in America, same problem. Got a problem. And that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. Okay, so archives are on AmericanVoiceRadio.com and also at PowerHerbs.com. Just click on the archive area. The shows are all listed by date and topic, so you can check it out. All right, we're going to jump right on in to the gallbladder problem. Do you have a gallbladder problem? Do you know somebody that does? Do you know somebody maybe at work that's been complaining when they eat, they get indigestion or a little twinge on their right side? Maybe a relative complains of that. Well, according to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, gallbladder disease is very common. Also, very lucrative business for modern medicine, netting them $5 billion annually. So some of the reason, reasons gallbladder disease is so common, they say, is obesity and the metabolic syndrome epidemic. So the likelihood that adolescents developing gallbladder disease, well, that was once considered rare, but that's also on the rise. Younger people are getting gallbladder problems. So gallbladder cancer is also more prevalent. All right, so most patients will be referred to a gastroenterologist to be diagnosed with gallbladder disease, maybe requiring possible surgery. So we're going to take a look at this very common problem where 20% of the U.S. population, that's 1 million diagnosed cases every year of gallbladder disease. So we're going to see what, uh, we're going to seek out 
what medical intervention does, and maybe how we can avoid that whole risk entirely, okay? Um, it is a global problem. It's not just a U.S. problem. The countries that report a rise in gallbladder disease are the United States, Chile, Sweden, Germany, and Austria. So here is a clue that it is really a lifestyle-type disease. In Arizona, 70% of the Pima Indian women have gallstones by the age of 30. And there is almost no gallbladder disease among Asians, and there is zero gallbladder disease in East Africa among the Massey people. So more women than men develop gallbladder disease, and the average age is about 54. Okay? But younger people are getting it. All right, let's look at the symptom. If you've got a sick organ, uh, we've, we've talked about symptoms before, but um, we've, we've uh, covered the gallbladder before in the symptoms. Um, if there's a problem, the, the symptoms will progressively get worse regardless of you eating a meal. So you do not want to let this go untreated. Uh, so you want to use common sense. So in most cases, when the gallbladder is producing symptoms, it is congested with sludge or stones. And that sludge could be mucus, uh, fungus, whatever. I mean, if you've been to an autopsy, you know all kinds of nonsense can be in there. So um, all this stuff, though, can be flushed out, especially if the stones aren't too large. And if you're worried about that, you can have an ultrasound done to determine the size of the stones, preferably smaller than a gabonzo bean. Um, and you want to make sure none of them are stuck in the bile duct, okay? Sometimes they can get stuck in the bile duct and grow elongated, like, like the, right along the size of the duct, and that's very dangerous. So, but here's some of the symptoms. Uh, pain in the upper right side of the abdomen under the rib uh, becomes persistent as the condition worsens. Uh, back pain between your shoulder blades, pain on the right shoulder. Uh, uh, you can have a shooting pain over the shoulder, too. Also, nausea and vomiting, abdominal bloating, indigestion, gas and belching, sweating and chills, low-grade fever, yellow color to the skin or eyes, and clay, clay-colored stool. So it's almost like the stool looks white because, let me tell you, your liver's involved in this mess because your liver and your gallbladder work in tandem together. And when your stool has that color, it means the liver's affected as well. All right, let's look at the surgery. Uh, people just go get the gallbladder surgery. It's just easy. Oh, no problem. Well, let's take a look. In the 1990s, the laparoscopic surgery was a new kind of surgery used to remove gallbladders. Approximately 600,000 gallbladder surgeries were being done each year, and the laparoscopic technique was nicknamed by surgeons Lapchali, and it's short for laparoscopic, it's called cholecholeistectomy. Can you say that three times fast? Okay, but they just nicknamed it Lapchali for laparoscopic. So today, surgeons consider the gallbladder as an, quote, expendable organ, right up there with your tonsils and your appendix. So they do 800,000 surgeries per year. And according to Dr. Pat Bass III, the laparoscopic procedure increased the number of gallbladder removals and increased health care costs. Now, according, you probably wonder, well, how much does it cost? 
for them to take out your gallbladder. I mean, laparoscopic, you're not even in the hospital overnight. It's kind of outpatient, right? Well, according to clearhealth.com, the cost of gallbladder surgery can reach $95,000. So now just over 12 hours at the hospital, that means your gallbladder removal will cost you about $3,700 an hour. That's what they're going to charge you. That's insane. So if you happen now to live in Mesa, Arizona, the gallbladder surgery, to be more precise, costs $94,897 if you have insurance. Or uh, $14,223 if you're self-pay. Well, let's just think about that now. 95 versus 14. Hmm. Okay, so some hospitals offer a 30-day prompt pay discount of 40%. That's if, you know, within 30 days you pay it off, give you a discount. So there's some concern that the ease of the procedure really has increased the number of unnecessary gallbladder surgeries. So the procedure is really not to be performed on patients with an inflamed gallbladder or if there is gallstones in the bile duct. Now, in such cases, surgeons have to revert to the standard procedure of the uh, chococholestectomy procedure, and patients being counseled by their doctors about gallbladder surgery are advised that the bile will flow from the liver directly to the bile duct instead of the gallbladder once it's removed. People go, oh, okay. There's a problem here. That's not how your plumbing was hooked up. Okay, so the gallbladder would actually store the bile in between meals, but once it's removed, that's not possible. So doctors tell patients this will have really no effect on digestion. Uh, They are told that the laparoscopic surgery to remove the organ offers few, if any, complications, and patients are told that they can resume their normal life routine within about seven days after surgery. Uh Uh-huh. Well, gallbladder surgery is used to treat gallstones, but even after the organ is removed, patients can still develop gallstones, but this time they'll develop in the bile duct. All right, let's look at the risks of the surgery. So patients are told that overall the surgery risk is low with gallbladder removal and they're going to get their lives back afterward, you know, tap you on the shoulder and said, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you. Well, doctors who are honest are going to let patients know that there is risk, risk to exist with any surgery and gallbladder surgery is no different. So at the University of Edinburgh in the U.K., They actually studied the risks of this surgery, and they were published in the 2012 British Medical Journal. So in the UK, they have that socialized health care, and not all their facilities over there are as well equipped for this surgery, Um, and they do about um, 60,000 gallbladder removals a year in that country. So they reported that the risk of complications is higher for the elderly as they normally have other health problems, and the risk is higher for heart patients and for patients in general if the procedure is done at a facility which doesn't really perform a high volume of gallbladder surgery. So the general risks for gallbladder surgery are infection, 
internal bleeding, injury to the bile duct, injury to the small intestine, anesthesia risks, gallstones left in the abdominal cavity, a bile leak into the abdominal cavity, and rare injury to blood vessels, which would lead to your heart and liver, and lastly, injury to the liver by an unintended cut. All right, so what happens? What happens after the surgery? Well, most patients are not prepared for this life-changing effect of not having their gallbladder. They're just not prepared. They're not told everything. You know, remember, I keep telling you, when you talk to these people in healthcare, it's like talking to the government. They don't volunteer information. You've got to ask specifically before you get those answers. So since uh, there's no gallbladder to store the bile from the liver, the bile is constantly dripping into the intestines through the bile duct. So the purpose of the bladder was to store enough bile to help you digest fatty food. So patients find that they can't eat fatty foods without digestive discomfort, diarrhea, bloating, nausea, indigestion, and pain. So without adequate bile, you can't digest fats and convert them to nutrients for the body. And that also includes your antioxidants and vegetables, which are fat-soluble. So without the gallbladder, you won't be able to absorb many important nutritional compounds. And that includes trying to digest supplement pills. So now I've often said that the liver and the gallbladder work in tandem. And if the liver is not healthy, it's going to encourage the likelihood of gallbladder stones and sludge. So people these days, you know, like to post their experiences online. And on the patient.info blog, patients have posted their experience of having their gallbladder surgery and how their recovery is going. So uh, many have remained in pain, unable to return to their normal life. And I want to give you one example. This was, um, this was posted by uh, a re- person recovering by the name of Kay. She says, I had my gallbladder removed seven weeks ago. I had a laparoscopic removal, but was in so much pain, they had to give me an epidural. And since the operation, I have been in pain, feel sick, can't eat. I experienced excruciating pain up to an hour after eating food. And if I lie down in the same position for too long and then stand up, it brings on the pain too. And I have a bile taste in my mouth and excessive sweating and fatigue. I experienced this several times a day. Now I'm told I may need to have a stint put into my bile duct. Since the operation, my life is a complete mess. End of quote. Well, she didn't get all her information, did she? Well, and I know sometimes it's an emergency, right? Got to make the best of it. But we're going to helpfully show you how to avoid the emergency. All right, now, what could possibly, other than lifestyle, bring on sludge buildup in the gallbladder. Well, modern medicine says it's your lifestyle that your gallbladder malfunctions, but other factors that the organ fails is due to prescription medications. And these medications increase the risk of liver and gallbladder disease, Crohn's disease, and destruction of red blood cells. So here's a brief list. 
Uh, this is an antibiotic called Rocephin, or it could be called Ceftizoxone. Anyway, it's an antibiotic that they normally prescribe for pneumonia, ear infections, skin infections, urinary tract infections, gonorrhea, pelvic inflammation, sepsis, bone or joint infections, abdominal infections, and meningitis. So the side effects warn of a biliary sludge and gallstones in the gallbladder, among other things. Another drug that you want to watch out for is an injectable hormone blocker called octrotide, and it's prescribed for tumors and conditions of watery diarrhea. So the drug can negatively affect the gallbladder, the liver, the stomach, the cardiovascular, and the pulmonary system. Another drug is a diuretic called thiazide. It's used for hypertension and congestive heart failure, and it causes liver dysfunction and it affects the gallbladder. And lastly, peritoneal nutrition, which is nutrition administered to the body other than by the digestive system. Sometimes it's given through an IV, but this increases the gallbladder sludge and also the likelihood of stones by 100% if you're given this uh, feeding by an IV longer than six weeks. All right, so we're going to get to the nitty-gritty here. And we're going to get to the proactive area of the show, which you can sidestep all this nonsense, right? And take care of your body that you were born with. We're going to talk about cleansing the gallbladder. It's a, a doable thing, and it's not expensive. Now, a majority of people do not know that they can avoid many of the internal medicine diseases, such as gallbladder disease, with some routine organ cleansing. Now, on a daily basis, we need to be very selective on what we eat and drink because that can affect our health. But foods tend to be nutritional, and herbs that you use in your cleanses are medicinal. Now, so your herbs are classified by the FDA as food, and in other countries, they're considered therapeutics. So medicinal herbs have the power to move bodily fluids, draw out impurities, soothe irritated tissue, remove debris quickly, stimulate nerve endings or calm them down, improve immune system function, speed up tissue and organ regeneration, remove blockages, expel parasites, flush out stones, and more. That's right. So medicinal herbs help the body to restore balance. And the key is to use your powerful herbs and not neglect them, or you can run the risk of conditions becoming acute, and then you're going to require the surgical intervention. So we want to be smart while using our powerful herbal tools and not re-congest our system with unhealthy lifestyles. So we have enough toxins in the environment to worry about and to cleanse away. We don't need to add to them. So think of cleansing as a maintenance plan to help you avoid toxic drugs, risky surgery, and premature death. Taking a break. We'll be right back.
pumping life into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. 007, your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com.
won't come out If they know that you're about Cause they couldn't match the glow of your eyes And no, who am I? Just an ordinary guy You know, get some decent rhythms and lyrics. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you know. Anyway, we it's another show. We're going to be um, finishing up our gallbladder topic and moving on to liver cancer here. You know, we were talking about right before the break how you can cleanse the gallbladder and flush out stones. Um, there's several herbs that help you restore the liver and the gallbladder to normal function and help flush away all that debris, the stones and the sludge. And if you think your risk of cancer is a factor, well, then I would just add some dandelion root, you know. So many, many of my favorite herbs uh, for this are milk thistle. The, the liver loves that. Uh, barberry bark for the gallbladder. And these herbs help actually stop gallbladder spasm and reduce the pain. And pain it will indicate the gallbladder is congested and it needs to be flushed. Okay, so if uh, there's uh, if if there are no severe gallbladder symptoms and you don't think you have stones uh, to flush out, then you can actually do a step down cleanse for just maintenance purposes, just to kind of you know tone the organs up. It's gentle and effective. It tones and regenerates the organs. So you can call the experts. And organ cleansing, call Apothecary Herbs. They have a complete line of organ cleansing products that you can buy individually or in kit packages. And you want to ask about their liver detox tea, the liver gallbladder tincture, the milk thistle, of course, the barberry bark tinctures. And uh, remember now, the, the liver and the gallbladder uh, send their impurities to the bowel and urinary tract to exit the body. So you want to be sure and ask about the cleanses to cleanse the bowel and the urinary so you can facilitate this free flow of toxins out of the body and reduce reabsorbing them when you flush that gallbladder, okay? It makes it so much easier when you have clean organs to accept that and uh, you won't reabsorb. Because if you start reabsorbing some toxins, it'll make you feel sick. So we don't want you to feel sick. So you want to call apothecary herbs. They're experts in organ cleansing for over 16 years. Their number is 866 866- Two two nine three six six three eight six six two two nine three six six three. If you're outside the U.S., dial seven zero four eight eight five zero two seven seven, or visit them online at thepowerherbs.com. Thepowerherbs.com, where you will discover your power and healthcare options just became endless. Also, they have a um, free catalog, so you can ask for that, and they have money-saving coupons there on the website as well. So you can uh, get your cleanses and save money. Deal. Deal, deal. Lots, if you get the right tools and instruction, it is amazing what you can accomplish. All right, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to go over to the liver cancer. Uh, of course, uh, liver cancer is on the rise. majority of, um, of it's due to um, 
sometimes emotional trauma or a drug culture or even poor diet. So there are like 24,000 new cases each year in the United States, about 18,000 deaths a year as well. And the statistics are telling us that more men than women get liver cancer. So more women get the gallbladder stones and the gallbladder surgery, and more men have the liver cancer. Um, They say more African-Americans will die from the liver cancer uh, than Caucasians. Interestingly, Asian-Americans die of liver cancer at a much higher rate than Hispanics. And uh, if you get liver cancer, and uh, let's say you're a white male, your survival rate, if you go to your doctor, is about five years or roughly 7%. I'm just telling what the stats are saying. Uh, African-Americans who have five years um, to live and 5% rate of survival, because uh, if you get a lot of complications in there, sometimes uh, there's HIV issues. Uh, if you have autoimmune disease, uh, then that survival rate really drops through the floor. Now, the average age that someone is diagnosed with liver cancer is about 55, and 20% of the cases, uh, people are over the age of 45, so just a little bit younger. And the average uh, lifespan, if you get diagnosed with liver disease, um, you may live 16 years, may. So that's usually the average. So liver cancer can be hard to diagnose because there are very few symptoms. And when it is diagnosed, it's generally in an advanced stage. So we don't want that. Therefore, liver cancer is one of those top three causes of death by cancer um, uh, in Africa and Asia and a fourth leading cause of cancer worldwide for men. Okay. There seems to be a couple of types. There are two types of categories your liver cancer can fall into, can fall into the primary or a secondary category. The primary form of cancer is in the liver tissue itself. The secondary form is the cancer spreads to the liver from another part of the body. Now, primary liver cancer accounts for about 70 to 85% of the liver cancer cases. Worldwide, about 660,000 cases of liver cancer per year. Um, China accounts for about 55% of those global cases. Well, no doubt. Have you seen their air pollution? Oof. All right. Um, currently, one-third of the world's total population, about 2 billion, is affected by hepatitis B. And over 1 million die every year, about 2,500 people a day, or 2,800 people a day, or 115 people an hour from hepatitis B. It is very easy to contract the virus. Symptoms are similar to flu, fever, fatigue, joint and muscle pain, loss of appetite, nausea, vomiting, jaundice, little yellowing of the eyes and skin. Um, That's the difference between that and the flu. You know, the medical treatment for hepatitis is a vaccine. Hepatitis C can also cause liver cancer. About 78% of the cases are from hepatitis infections. So what are the treatments? Well, uh, liver cancer is one of the most fatal diseases, and there are very few non-surgical treatments available. So your choices are going to be surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and precutaneous ethanol injections, which is an alcohol solution injected through the skin into the tumor that's in your liver to hopefully kill the cancer cells. 
and the radiation and chemo are in effect uh, for the primary cancer, uh, type of cancer for the liver. And then there's the surgery to resection the liver, to um, take out damaged areas, or even a liver transplant. So this is modern medicine solution for the liver being sick. So a majority of the patients, if they have their primary liver cancer, um, have cancer spreading to adjacent blood vessels and organs, lymph nodes. Um, they typically tend to be eligible for a liver transplant if the cancer originally started in the liver. So if you want to know why more people die of the liver cancer um, in developing countries, um, the liver transplant cost is $523,400. Um, and that's just for a five-day hospital stay after surgery. Um, so the remaining cost of medications, which would be your immune suppressant drugs for life, about 21000 a year just for those drugs. Wow. Well, let's go over some natural healing then. Let's go look at our options. What do we do when you have a sick liver? You want to remember that the first law of natural healing is you open up the elimination channel so the body can dump toxicity, clean up the bowel, and you clean up the liver. Remember, we just talked about gallbladders that will dump. Liver and gallbladder debris goes to the bowel, so you've got to make sure that bowel's clean. So you would do a bowel cleanse. I would if I were in that in those shoes. Uh, so you want those elimination channels clean and opening and free flowing. Uh, so those are the two areas that really need a lot of work: uh, cleansing, uh, the bowel cleansing, and the liver flushes and the gallbladder flushes definitely would need to be done um, frequently. And when you have liver cancer, guess what? Garlic actually helps. A lot. You start with one clove a day and you work your way up to several cloves and you want to use some olive oil. Olive oil helps flush stones out of the gallbladder, helps them slide out through the um, valve duct and so they don't get stuck. So you can even uh, do a gallbladder flush um, with your liver cleansing because uh, those two areas work together. So you use barberry bark with your garlic and your olive oil and your milk thistle. And uh, you get complete instructions on how to do that. Um, and, but if you don't have gallbladder stones, you wouldn't have to do that as a flush. Um, you would use the uh, liver detox tea and you use liver gallbladder tincture combo. And it's a bit gentler, but still effective. Uh, so this is going to help get a lot of that junk out of the gallbladder, purge a lot of those toxins out that get stuck in there. See, because the, the liver can't dump toxins. The liver is supposed to purge dead red blood cells. Uh, it's supposed to purge, um, you know, any kind of toxicity it's had to neutralize with its enzymes. And it's supposed to, you know, purge uh, unnecessary hormones and cholesterol and sugars. So the liver's got a lot of jobs to do. So we have to take care of it. Uh, so normally the liver cleanses the blood dumps the waste material into the gallbladder, and the gallbladder uh, tends to dump, dump those into the uh, bowel area to re be removed by the body. So for severe cases of liver cancer, you may have to do a gallbladder liver flush uh, for several days, maybe five days in a row. And when mucus and congestive matter start coming out, 
it lifts the burden off the liver and the gallbladder. And so you may have a lot of mucus, a lot of debris coming out. Sometimes um, it can look like strands of rubber or solid pieces of tissue. And people get all crazy when that happens. But uh, this is just dead tissue slopping off that you don't need. And um, some people have, have described it as, forgive me if anybody's eating. I don't mean to gross anybody out. But it could look like pieces of chicken meat. Yeah. And um, when all that comes out, a lot of swelling and pressure and pain go away, believe you me. And uh, if you got liver tumors, they'll start shrinking and the body's able to. But I would definitely use my dandelion root, uh, maybe some chaparral as a little booster, you know, a little short burst of that. These are like, and uh, obviously nitrilocide, uh, vitamin B17, these are all anti-cancer types of nutrients and help the body fight that. I would also, in addition to the organ cleansing, I would do a lot of juice flushing with vegetables and citrus juices. These are live enzymes going into the body. And when you don't have to eat a lot of solid food, it, it takes a lot of energy that normally the body would use to digesting and it goes towards healing. So you want to eat a bit lighter, but pump in the super live enzymes. Um, I, what I do is I add a uh, powdered vitamin, mineral, vegetable, plant mix with protein, plant protein, all body food, and I just throw it in the juice, and it gives the body stamina. It gives it a lot of energy and nutrition, and those are the building blocks of regeneration. So you need that. Another thing you could do, because when you have stuff, really serious conditions, whether it's cancer, immune system collapse, uh, nervous system disorders, you really need to do some natural therapies all day, whatever it is, juice flushing, massage, uh, hot and cold uh, therapy, uh, your cleansing, um, you know, a little bit of exercise. Uh, so you're doing some sort of natural therapy, um, skin brushing, uh, but another therapy you could use is the cold sheet treatment. It helps to fast track toxins right out of the body through the skin. Um, and so you need, you could do this at home, but you need some help when you do it. And it is a therapy that I mentioned in my book called the power herbs. And if you don't have a copy, you can go to the powerherbs.com website and you can download this book and you can pick the format that you want. Cause it comes in three different formats. So be careful. Look at the drop down, uh, because I think the default's a PDF format, but it comes in PDF, Kindle, and iPad. And, um, and it, you can load it onto your device or onto your computer, and you can and you can has a, an index, table of contents, uh, reference sections, and you can find what you need quickly in there. So the cold sheet treatment is listed, and it's a very nice therapy. It's a one of those therapies they use over in European um, clinics and spas, and um, it really lifts also a lot of toxicity that. Um, uh, seems to be associated with dependency issues, whether it's um, dependency on tobacco, um, drugs, alcohol, uh, that kind of thing. So um, it lifts also a lot of emotional burden off the system because a lot of people don't realize their emotions are chemicals in the body. And so um, it helps balance a lot of those chemicals. So I think depression, anxiety, also big reliever. So very simple procedure to do. Um, 
you just need one assistant to help you, and it's called the cold sheet treatment, and it's very cool. All right, um, so we talked about the bowel cleansing, and we talked about the juice flushing. Oh, castor oil packs. That's another thing you can do. Castor oil packs are really easy to do. Um, what you do is you get some castor oil, and you warm it, but you don't boil it. And I usually take an old T-shirt that I don't care about or anything cotton that you don't care about, maybe a washcloth, because, you know, you're going to put it in the castor oil and then wring it out and put it over the area that's uh, affected by uh, the cancer. And wh what castor oil does is it draws, and it draws a lot of, again, impurities right out through the skin. And you could do this while you're, you know, watching uh, TV, uh, resting in the afternoon, and do it for like 15, 20 minutes. And uh, it's amazing. It's also in my book, uh, thepowerherbs.com, so you can check that out there. So uh, you can look for all your cleanses at thepowerherbs.com. They come with a complete instructions and product support. So thepowerherbs.com, give them a call if you're interested in learning how to do cleansing. You know, you can do cleansing even if you don't have a serious issue. Uh, it's called maintenance. You're getting toxicity out so that the body can regenerate and heal and stay balanced. So it's sort of like, you know, you change the oil in your car, you change the filters out of the furnace. Hey, cleansing is kind of along those same principles. You're maintaining your body. So thepowerherbs.com, check it out. Or you can give them a call at 866-229-3663. 866-229-3663. You're outside the U.S., 704-885. 0277-704-885-0277 international number and get empowered you know you can sidestep a, a lot of problems down the road all right so we're going to be talking about uh protecting ourselves from more cancer and um, prostate comes up a lot people worry about their prostates uh out there i get a lot of calls on that prostate cancer huge concern for men um one of those calls we get frequently at thepowerherbs.com. Now, I understand there, there's concern because of um, the medical community is publishing a lot on prostate health. For instance, prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men, um, excluding skin cancer. So the American Cancer Society estimates that 220,000 new cases of prostate cancer are going to be diagnosed each year. So 70% of the men are going to be over the age of 60. So if your father, your brother, your uncle had prostate disease, well, your risk increases another 5 to 10% if it's in the family. Now, American Cancer Society is stating that the more prostate disease that appears in your family tree, your risk factor will jump up with each victim. So in 2007, they estimated about 28,000 deaths in the U.S. from prostate cancer. So for every man that's diagnosed with prostate cancer, 99% survive about five years. 93% survive about 10 years. And 77% survive 15 years. So all the men are at risk of prostate disease as they get older, we're told. And uh, African Americans have the higher incidence rate, about 60%, twice the mortality rate compared to Caucasian men. So the Cancer for Health Statistics stated that approximately 7,000 men in New Jersey were diagnosed with prostate cancer, of which 1,000 died. For 
some reason, New Jersey is one of the highest prostate cancer capitals here in the nation. I don't know what's up with Jersey, but what are the causes? Well, modern medicine attributes the prostate disease to genetics, you know, family tree again, and how you live your life, your lifestyle. Lifestyles, which include a lot of animal fat, inactivity, you know, sedentary lifestyle, and a contributing factor to the disease. And medical community advocates um, say regular physical exercise, eating more fruits and vegetables, getting lots of vitamin E and selenium supplements with uh, getting all that going can actually lower your risk of getting prostate cancer. But I'm going to show you how to lower it to, like, zero. All right. Some of the symptoms. Um, well, usually early prostate disease may not produce much of a symptom, but surrounding prostate, you have the urinary tubes, which carry urine away from the bladder and out of the body. So that could be affected. Uh, uh, the prostate should be the size of a walnut, but it grows larger as man ages. If it gets too large, it can invite cancer and you can have trouble urinating or um, you may urinate too often, have an urgency issue, have to get up several times a night. Um, so other symptoms could be pain or burning during urination, blood in the urine or semen, back, hip, or pelvic pain, as well as painful ejaculation. Unfortunately, these symptoms are all too common for men over 50, according to the National Institute on Aging. And you just don't want to let this stuff go. You know, you just don't. Uh, modern medicine is going to offer you drugs and surgery. Um, and, of course, we've heard recently on the uh, PSA levels for the um, tests, they give prostate exams and tests, that they're not very helpful and may make matters worse for folks. So you want to do your homework on those. Uh, of course, urologists are always going to push the biopsy, but then again, I wouldn't go there. Uh, biopsy can cost around uh, $1,200. And doctors like to confirm that the tissue is cancerous, um, but then what are you going to do? Yeah? They're going to push you to get radiation and chemo, maybe even surgery, um, hormone replacement therapies. And you want to be careful and make sure that your cancer is not hormone dependent, uh, because if you take anything, whether it's drug or herb related to uh, uh, that encourages hormones, uh, it'll feed the cancer, so you want to be real careful there. Now, it's real important to ask those questions regarding surgery. You should ask about the risks and procedures. 1% of men die from prostate surgery. And some complications from the surgery are deep venous thrombosis or leg clots may increase the risk of stroke and heart attack and death. Now, um, there's also a high post-surgery. Um, you, you may, you may uh, have a herniated disc if you lift things. So you can't be lifting heavy things. Um, and you can also have problems with the connection between the bladder and the urethra. And you could have long-term complications. You may have to be using catheters and things like that. So you definitely want to do all your homework before you make any decisions regarding that. I know. I'm running out of time. So here we gotta, we got to get to the, the natural way. Um, I like to use the male herbs for the prostate. And uh, we use um, not just the, you know, saw palmetto and uh, uh, the hawthorn. And we don't just use, you know, cleavers. Or, we use thuja. We use everything. 
Bees, everything that helps the male reproductive area. So if you look at the powerbs.com website and you click on Just for Men, there is a prostate kit there. And if you are using it just for maintenance reasons, great. If you're using it for a clinical reason, well, then you're going to have a range of doses. And so if you have moderate to severe prostate issues, you're going to have to use the high-end doses in the herbal supplement in this kit. So it's a liquid and a tea. Use them in together, and it's very easy to do. It's, a, it's enough for about a two-week cleanse of the prostate. So you can check that out at powerherbs.com for about 68 bucks. You can probably relieve a lot of pressure, discomfort, and maybe sidestep surgery. Mm -hmm. So check that out, thepowerherbs.com. And you can cleanse as often as once a month if it's just maintenance, more often if you seem to have a serious problem. So uh, check that out, thepowerherbs.com. Don't forget, cleanse that bowel. Congested bowels can put a lot of prostate on uh, pressure on the prostate. So you want to cleanse that bowel as well. Thepowerherbs.com. Discover your power and where your health care options just became endless. 866-229-3663. I'm out of time. Well, the information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, so seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
ladies and gentlemen, I'm Alfred Addison. This is Financial Survival for Wednesday night, the 6th day of July, year of our Lord, 2016. Our guest, as usual, on Wednesday night is James Corbett. James should be joining us after the first break. First, we'll give you a market report, a few comments on uh, whatever is interesting that's happening in the markets and political system today. And let's start with gold is up. Another good day on the American markets. Domestic markets up $7 today to $1,364.20 per ounce. Silver is up $0.14. Platinum is up $16 to $1,089. Palladium is up $5 to $610 per ounce. Let's see if I can scroll down here a little bit. Uh, U.S. dollar index was up a little bit today. It's currently at 96.08. Um, wasn't up strongly, but it was up during the day. Uh, crude oil up 25 cents in the aftermarket. It's currently at $47.68 per barrel. Dow Jones is 17,918, up 78 points for the day. NASDAQ is up 36 points for the day at 4,859. New York Stock Exchange is up 32 points to 10,441. Standard & Poor's is up 11 points to 2,099. And in the aftermarket, gold, incidentally, is up another $4. Or excuse me, 5.30 now. And silver's up another 9 cents in the the aftermarket. foreign markets it went up another gold is on a tear and we can start with just some comments on that to begin with gold prices are up 29 percent um it might even be 30 percent including the aftermarket numbers so far tonight Um, but gold is up 29 percent since the first of this year and silver is up higher than that. I don't know the number on silver. I know it's I know it's higher than gold, but I haven't calculated it, and I don't remember exactly what it is. In fact, at the chart I'm looking at, it says 31% when gold was 24%, which implies that silver is up close to 40% since the beginning of this year. And gold is up right about 30% since the beginning of this year. That's just a spectacular rise in prices. If the price of gold rose 10%, we'd say it was a pretty good year. If it rose 20%, we'd be pleased. And I, and in fact, you know, if it just continues 20%, 20%, 20%, great. I'm a happy camper. Gold is up 30% or thereabouts in the first, in a little over the first six months of the year. That's just amazing. And in the event that it continued to rise this year at the same rate, we'd be looking at something like, well, we'd have, what, 60% increase. We'd be talking in terms of $1,600 gold by the end of the year. And it's not impossible that we could see more. But the first quarter of the year is statistically not so great for gold. It's not bad that it's not so great. Second quarter is statistically gold's worst, worst quarter every year. doesn't mean it always works out that way, but generally speaking, out of the four quarters of any given year, gold does 
least well in the second quarter of the year. We're through that. And we still have 30% increase in the price of gold in the first two quarters of the year. And now we're coming into the third quarter, which is generally fairly good for gold. And fourth quarter is generally the best quarter for gold. And we're coming into that. It implies that this trend, this percentage rate of increase, it, it could not only be sustained, it might even be increased over the course of the next six months. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting times for those of you who own gold or are thinking about owning gold. For those of you who do own gold, uh, the, the, recent, <laughs> the recent increases ought to make you a little bit giddy. And after four years of decline, you ought to be sitting back and saying, you know, maybe I wasn't so dumb after all. Maybe this thing is finally going to take off, and it appears to be doing this, just that. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't say what's going to happen next week, next month, and so on. Next year, we don't know. But this has certainly been the first six months of 2016 have certainly brought gold bugs uh, cause for optimism. Same thing with silver. And there's nothing on the horizon right now that I'm aware of that we can point to that say, well, gold, this is just a flash to pan, and this is going to burn out at any moment, and gold is going to tank. If there's something out there that can make that happen, it is not widely recognized or known at this time. It looks, you know, the feel is this is going to continue. Here's another article from AFP, which is Agency France Press. It's a French newspaper or a French news source comparable to the Associated Press here in the United States. And the headline is Greek No to Austerity, a Sublime Act of Resistance, PM, Prime Minister. What they're saying here is the Greek people voted no to austerity. And the Greek prime minister has said, this is a sublime act of resistance. Now, there's a little bit to be gained out of this. You can look at this and you can say, hmm, there's a little bit of insight to be gained. Debt-laden Greece's rejection exactly a year ago of austerity measures proposed by the international lenders was a sublime act of resistance, according to Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras. Last year's referendum on measures that uh, were subsequently mooted by the lenders, the European Union and the International Monetary Fund, were uh, rejected by um, 62% of the Greeks. That sentence is, is not quite coherent, but it implies, that as I'm reading, as I'm understanding it, that the Greeks' most recent referendum, where they were they said, look, you need to have practice more austerity, and they 62% essentially said, screw that. We don't want no more austerity. And Zipper said the no of our people was a sublime act against the Euro bigwigs promoting austerity and also against the establishment which wanted to stifle the country. <laughs> I, you know, it makes me laugh, the, uh, the, the evil establishment. Everybody's since breakfast... Brexit, everyone is complaining about the establishment. All right? Trump is an anti establishment candidate. Bernie Sanders is an anti establishment candidate. Um, 
The Greeks say this was a sublime act. Uh, their refusal to accept austerity was a sublime act of rebellion against the establishment, the dreaded establishment, which wanted to stifle the country, meaning Greece. I'm not convinced that the establishment wanted to stifle Greece. Maybe they did, maybe they don't. I'm not a defender of the establishment. I'm just, I'm just saying we have reached a point where we can blame everything on Brexit or we can blame everything on the establishment. Take your pick. Um, and maybe we need to look deeper at times to see what really co- real causes are. But Zippers continues, he says, one year on, we still have our heads high and we are fighting to put the country back on track. One week after the referendum, Zippers, however, was forced to sign a new bailout agreement with creditors to avoid bankruptcy and had to accept to continue the austerity measures. So what he's saying is, although the people voted to discontinue austerity, he had to go with for he had to go along with and agree to further austerity measures. He was forced to do it in order to avoid bankruptcy. I've talked about this on the program in the past number of times, and it seems to me that bankruptcy is what they want to do. The creditors don't want Greece to file for bankruptcy. I get that, because if they file for bankruptcy, it cancels all of the Greek debt, or virtually all of the Greek debt. The creditors want some of the debt repaid, so they don't want Greece to file for bankruptcy And therefore, they're willing to go along with restructuring. They're advocating austerity, where you can squeeze more currency out of the Greek people by means of higher taxes and lower government uh, and and diminished government programs and diminished government benefits. So the government has more money to give to the creditors. But the truth of the matter is that Greece is not going to get out of this bind because it can't pay the existing debt. And they can drag on in austerity from now until heck freezes over. But the simple solution is just declare bankruptcy and say, sorry, guys, we can't pay the bills. right? And they don't necessarily have to feel so badly about this because the creditors who are demanding that Greece agree to more austerity so they can repay the creditors, those creditors knew or should have known they were lending more money to Greece than Greece could expect to repay. You can't, you know, give $1,000 in nickels to a three-year-old child and demand that the child repay the three $1,000 in nickels a week later. The kid's been throwing those nickels around and dropping them down the vents and one thing and another like that. There's no telling where all those nickels went. If you want your nickels, you don't give them to a three-year-old kid. Uh, and that's what the creditors did. They, they allowed Greece to go too deeply into debt. They may have done that intentionally for the purpose, as Zipper says, of wanting to stifle the country and put it into bondage. They may have done it stupidly. But the fact is they enabled Greece to go so far into debt that it can't get out under its own, under its own steam. They are therefore not the innocent victims in this. They are at least partially responsible. I'm not justifying Greece's refusal or inability to repay its debts. I'm simply saying, you know, you can't con an honest man. The, The creditors were in this as much as the Greeks. In May, Greek lawmakers voted in favor of more spending cuts 
and tax hikes. Greece urgently needs the next tranche of bailout money to repay big loans to European Central, the European Central Bank and the IMF in July. It's July now. All right, so they need more bailout money. What do they need? They need somebody to give me some money so I can pay my bills. And I doubt that anyone is going to give them the bailout money, which means they need to borrow more money to repay their existing loans. Now, how smart is that? This is using your MasterCard to pay off your Visa to pay off your American Express. It'll buy you some time, but in the end, it's another, the result is going to be bad. It's going to probably put you into bankruptcy. The same thing with Greece. Greece would have been better off just to declare bankruptcy. The creditors, of course, are doing everything they can to stop that bankruptcy. If Greece did, they canceled the debt, they'd have a difficult year, two, maybe three, they'd be back on track. As long as they agree to these austerity measures, they are going to be caught in a situation where they are trying to push a boulder up a mountain. And as, and as long as they keep trying to push that boulder, they're going to find themselves in a lot of trouble. Now, what is austerity? And that's the point I really wanted to make out of this article that I want to bring forth. Just to clarify this, where people understand this a little better. Austerity simply means you have to pay your debts. It's time to pay your debts. Oh, my gosh, we're going into austerity. This is terrible. No, it's inevitable. All right? It simply means that if you borrowed money, you're going to have to repay the money, or at least the creditors are going to expect it back. And when the time comes, when you borrowed the money, you partied. You borrowed $10,000 to take a trip to Tahiti. All right? In the month of June. And boy, wasn't it wonderful. Just partied down on the $10,000 trip to Tahiti. But you borrowed that on your MasterCard. And now it's July. And oh my gosh, you got a bill. They want $10,000, which means what? It means you're going to have to tighten your belt in the month of July to come up with a ten grand to pay off your vacation. Or you're going to have to accept interest charges. They're going to mount every month until you finally get that 10000 paid off. But the point is that austerity is the time when you pay off the debt. You borrowed the ten grand and you had a great time. You had a celebration. Greeks had a celebration. They had a great time when they were borrowing all that money. Now it's time to pay the bills. And the Greeks are saying, oh, no, I don't want to pay the bills. That's no fun. We would just want to dance around like Zorba and throw some plates on the floor and say, hoopa, hoopa. Well, you can't. Now it's austerity. Austerity simply means the time when you are compelled to pay your debts. And if your debts are too big, you're going to find that austerity is perhaps is at least as painful as was the celebration when you were borrowing the money, and the austerity may even be worse than that celebration when you borrowed the money to go to Tahiti. So, oh, my God, that's the last time I'm going to Tahiti. You know, I'm never going to do that. I can't. Now I, can't, I went to Tahiti in June, and here we are in July, and I can't afford to pull the car out of the driveway. Uh, that's austerity. <clears throat> now, the point here. Well, but there's one there's one other point to bear in mind about austerity. It means paying your debts. But in the case of nations, it may also mean paying the debts of previous generations. And while everyone can recognize that you should be obligated to pay the money, repay whatever currency you borrowed to take your trip to Tahiti, 
it's not clear that you should be you should be compelled to pay whatever was borrowed for your parents taking the trip to Tahiti. Maybe mom and dad should pay their own way. Um, we'll get a little more into that in a moment, or a little bar in the unforeseen if time doesn't run out. But point is that living on debt inevitably brings people to a time of austerity. Sooner or later, the debt has to be paid. And when we get to that moment, the country goes into austerity. And credit inevitably, sooner or later, the credit runs out. And the debtors are forced into austerity, which means less benefits from government, less government spending, and more taxes as they try to pay their bills to creditors. The antidote to austerity is a balanced budget and therefore no debt. If you don't want to go into a period of austerity similar to that of the Greeks, you need to compel your government to stop borrowing money. But your government can't. We live in a debt-based monetary system, and part of the implication is that if we're going to go into debt and more debt and more debt and more debt, guess what? Sooner or later, as crazy as it sounds, somebody's going to say, hey, how about you guys pay your debts? And the whole world, the whole country is going to scream, oh, my God, no, we don't want to pay the debts. We just want to keep them on borrowing. Well, you can't. And at that moment, we're going to go into austerity just as the Greeks are right now. And the only way out of that, and there won't even be a way out, you're going to suffer that austerity because you've enjoyed the good life on the big credit cards. You've used your credit cards. The nation used the credit cards. We had a great party. Now we're getting close to the time of austerity. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival. James Corbett should be joining us shortly. Please stay tuned. will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's one 800 
375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver, 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, which is an extraordinary and fantastic collection of articles, podcasts, videos. Um, I'm not sure. There are probably messages in bottles. I'm not sure. James, have you put out any messages in bottles? Not yet, but actually, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll try that. I understand. We might be. You may be able to do something with balloons or something. Who knows? Drones. <laughs> we may be able to put out a drone with a message in it. Um, two weeks ago, you predicted that the Brexit movement uh, vote would, by hook or by crook, be defeated. One week ago, <laughs> I teased you about your mistaken prediction. However, since the Brexit vote. One in Great Britain, we continue to see predictions that despite that victory, one way or another, Great Britain will remain part of the European Union. For example, here's an article from the AFP entitled, Britain Will Remain in the EU, Austrian Minister. Um, Britain will not quit the European Union despite voting to do so, uh, according to Austria's finance minister, Hans Schelling. Um Five in five years, there will still be 28 member states. That's his prediction. Uh, he also said that the United Kingdom might break up with Scotland and Northern Ireland uh, voting to uh, distance itself to from 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 Great Britain. So my question to you is: Do you think that the Brexit movement is a done deal? Is it irreversible, or is there a good or even high probability? that Britain will ultimately remain in the European Union. Well, to borrow a favorite political doublespeak phrase from the American political (laughs) crap class, all options are on the table. And really and truly, any one of those situations could play out. We could see the UK remain in the EU. We could see some type of negotiated exit, which is just an exit in name, but actually formally maintains a lot of the relationship with the EU. We could see the UK disintegrating and various pieces of the the former remains of the the disunited kingdom 
joining back up with the EU. There's truly nothing that's off the table at this point. Even a second referendum has certainly been floated, although no one has in the political class has given it much credence yet. But again, there's uh, there's many different ways this can play out. And I, I think anyone who says definitively which way this is going to play out is either lying or maybe in on the plot. Uh-huh. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Let me shift down here to Russia. I'm scrolling through my scrolling, scrolling, scrolling here. Here's 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 comment from Russia, and this is reported. We are changed, and the headline is Russia Brexit EU fall uh, Brexit EU fallout looks like collapse of the Soviet Union. And uh, Russia has warned that while it's unreasonable to draw direct parallels, it's obvious that the UK is going through a turbulent, confusing, and unpredictable period. I wonder if they meant the UK or they meant the European Union, but they said UK. This is from uh, Russian Finance Minister Anton Salunov. Salunov. Uh, Russia is, is right, uh, as, as already eight countries, France, Holland, Italy, Austria, Finland, Hungary, Portugal, and Slovakia, have expressed the want to follow Britain's lead and leave and have a referendum. Um, there is a Brexit domino effect. So I'm wondering, is the comparison between Brexit and the fall of the Soviet Union, is that reasonable or exaggerated? You know, actually, that's, I haven't heard that comparison yet, although that is an intriguing one, isn't it? Because, of mm-hmm. course, with the fall of the Soviet Union, we saw the, the periphery of the, the, uh, the Soviet Union falling apart first, and then ultimately you know, Ukraine and other parts of the, that union declaring their own type of independence, and ultimately it all just ended quite quickly after that point. So it, I suppose there could be, I mean, again, it depends on which way this all plays out, but it could, there could be some, some analogies there. Obviously, I wouldn't push that analogy too far. But I think from a Russian perspective, what is happening in the European Union is obviously of great interest and could work to uh, Russia's benefit or really to the benefit of people around the world who are interested in seeing peace rather than war, if it means that this is a breakup of the, 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 the pact that holds Eastern Europe in the sway of Western Europe, which is to say having all of these periphery states that are really on Russia's doorstep welded together with a bureaucracy in Brussels where their natural alliances and probably economic best interests would be served by being more, more open at the very least to trade with Russia. So there is a chance that this could pull apart in such a way that we might see a little bit more stability, a little bit more uh, uh, overtures towards peace and detente rather than this ratcheting up of tensions. However, in the short term, at least, this is having the exact opposite effect. And we just saw um, just earlier on uh, on last Friday, uh, this come from, coming from Reuters, NATO leaders meet in Warsaw. Oh, sorry, not last Friday, next, tomorrow, next Friday, uh, to cement a new deterrent against what they see as an emboldened Russia returning to Cold War style defense with Washington again taking the part of Europe's protector. So we see NATO, in fact, rallying even closer together as a reaction to the potential instability that's happening right now in the European Union which is only going to increase tensions with Russia. And that is obviously the wrong direction. So again, like the Brexit and the the future of the European Union itself, this could go either way. And we could see either a period where Eastern Europe starts to 
move closer into the Russian sphere, or we could see the exact opposite and NATO tighten its grip even further. Are they, is NATO warning about Russia because Russia poses a real threat to Europe, or are they basically creating a boogeyman to justify and try to terrify the nations of the European Union to stay in the Union because, oh my gosh, if we don't, you know what's going to happen? The Russians are going to invade. There is no non-propagandistic narrative that in any way can be used to paint the idea that Russia is a violent aggressor and has some sort of is poses some sort of existential threat to the countries of Eastern Europe. I think that uh, a lot of that is is rhetoric and blather. To be fair, on the other side, in the alternative media in the West, you'll see a lot of uh, un, unquestioning praise of Putin in Russia as if it's some sort of spotless, wonderful, you know, shining beacon of freedom and virtue in the world. I think that's ridiculous as well. But clearly, I do not see any indication that Russia is being militarily aggressive in its actions and responding to the Ukraine crisis by accepting uh, 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 <laughs> I want to say Cyprus. <laughs> it's not uh, Odessa? No. <laughs> Accepting that small piece of the Ukraine back into the Russian uh, Federation is uh, it was not militarily aggressive or anything else that it's been portrayed as by the, yeah, the neocons in its lap, essentially. Exactly. It's I mean, like I, I don't a think baby that was... on the doorstep and now you've got to feed it. So I think we have to see Russia playing defense against what is an increasingly aggressive NATO. And again, we don't even have to speculate about that. We recently had some recent uh, uh, emails from the former NATO general uh, Breedlove, who was the former Supreme Allied Commander of Europe, um, who uh, on this website, dcleaks.com, released a bunch of his private emails that he was sending around to a number of people in the American and NATO and uh, European uh, political establishment to try to basically find ways to lobby the Obama government, Obama administration, Obama himself, for the idea of we need we need more to we we need more money, we need more thought, we need more troops being committed to this Russian threat. So they have NATO has been 100% undeniably ramping up towards this this Russian front that they're opening right now, and I still continue to think that the long term game plan here is not an actual hot outright military war, but I do think they certainly want to contain Russia as tightly as possible, um, economically as well as geographically. And I think they also want, of course, to ramp up to Cold War levels of military expenditure. And of course, there are the usual interests that benefit from that. Again, do you think the forces in NATO that are warning about Russians are they legitimately warning about Russia or, Russia, or is this just being used as a device to say, oh, my gosh, the boogeyman's out there and we better all stay united and get, a one, get one military system put together here to defend ourselves? Propaganda, mostly, or legitimate warning, mostly? If there is anything other than propaganda in these statements, I have yet mm -hmm. to see it. I can't find any statement of what specifically it is that they feel is new on the table with Russia, with regards to Russia. Um, that, that Reuters article I was talking about before uh, quotes Douglas Lute, the uh, envoy, envoy from the U.S. to NATO, as saying, we're in a new relationship with a newly aggressive, newly assertive Russia. 
It's brought us back to the primacy of our initial core task, collective defense, our immediate neighborhood. Again, that is just rhetoric. It's just blather. There is no substance to saying, I mean, you can state that this is a newly aggressive, newly assertive Russia, but what is the evidence for that? And I have never seen that presented in a cogent, coherent, persuasive manner by anyone on that side of the debate. So I have to say that it is propaganda at this point. And I I don't know, maybe there are people in the Washington Beltway who actually truly believe this, but it seems to me a very deliberate attempt to whip up a boogeyman so that we can basically spend money on trying to keep it contained. You know, when you, when we just, when we're, as we're speaking, it crosses my mind that Vladimir Putin has an image in the media of being a strong man. We see pictures of him riding a horse without a shirt. We see him firing a rifle. I mean, he goes through this, he got a very, he's got a very masculine appearance, and he looks like the sort of guy who would be inclined to go to war, if you catch my drift. Do you suppose his image plays, and I don't know if the image, is this, is this an image that he wants to foster, or is this an image that's being foisted off upon him in order to prove that he's a natural warmonger? Right. Uh, I see what you're saying. I think clearly, like every political persona, it is a carefully crafted PR persona. And I think he's playing to his base in the Russian polity, in the electorate there in Russia, which is which sees that as, you know, the strong leader that we need in these turbulent times or whatever. And it plays very well with that base, which is the core constituency of his uh, you know, voting public. Um, at the same time, it plays, as you say, it plays very well into the boogeyman image that in the West. We want to, the, you know, the, the, the photo opportunities that show this is a, you know, kind of a crazy, dangerous, militaristic man with no human emotion kind of thing. And his PR personality plays into that. I mean, all these photo ops don't just happen. It's not like there's just randomly some cameraman who snaps this. Mm-hmm. All of this, of course, is planned in advance and he takes... The, the big camera crews out, you know, when he goes to the zoo or whatever to go shoot a tranquilizer dart into a tiger or things of that nature, that doesn't happen by accident. That is clearly a planned stage photo opportunity. So it's clearly something that he wants. And I think, again, that's for internal domestic purposes, but it does play a role in the creation of this image on the international scale as well. And we, it, it's best to keep in mind that all of these personas are, of course, personas, and they do not necessarily reflect the, the real workings of government, which, of course, generally happen at the deep state level rather than the, the sort of surface level that we see when presidents go for photo opportunities. If these personas, and they have multiple personas for all of these people, but if these, all of these politicians and leaders, if these personas do not reflect the reality of the individual, can we say that the personas reflect the susceptibility of the public? Are we sending out personas that reflect what this guy really is, or are we sending out personas that the public really wants to see? Sometimes they want to see him as a hero, sometimes they want to see him as a boogeyman, but does the persona reflect the public, or does it reflect the reality of the individual? I think there's an interplay with those things. And I think the, um, I mean, I have no doubt that if you really closely followed Putin and all of the various photo opportunities and staged events and things that happen in public, I'm sure there are many that do not play into that particular persona. But those ones, the shirtless 
horse riding or the the karate or weightlifting with uh, with uh, the, the president and things like that. Those clearly do play into that image, and therefore they get spread more more widely. People are more interested in that. So I think there is a, a sense to which the uh, the public is the curator of these personas, in that they choose to a certain extent. It's public interest that drives what ultimately gets presented and what doesn't. And but there's also the interplay where the public interest is to some extent managed and determined by the the propaganda narratives that are delivered through the media. So I think it plays both ways. Well, it always does, I guess. It's it's one of those things, but it's intriguing, just to me at least, to sit back and say, what is this? Does this persona really tell us about the man, or does it tell us about some vulnerability, some susceptibility in the public? This is what they want to see. We're going to show them what they want to see, and then they'll follow us, and they'll give us more money because, you know, it's like wagging the dog. You know, it becomes increasingly, we see evidence. It really, it's not just a movie. It's not just a fiction. And I assume you're familiar with the, the movie Wagging the Dog. Oh, I certainly am, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's, it's the Hollywood comes out and creates an image in order, makes things apparently happen. That didn't really happen, but the public wants to see it, so so it works. Uh, trying to draw that line between reality and appearance isn't easily done. No, good luck. Yeah, yeah, I know. Good luck with that. I mean, and and then you get into a question, and we have thirty seconds left. When we have to talk about reality, we're looking at, for example, just Vladimir Putin. Right? There's his there's his reality. We say that's reality. What about the public opinion? Is that reality or is that just some sort of a fiction? It's a type of self-fulfilling reality or self-creating reality. And I think that's even more important as we go ahead um, into the new sort of political era that we're moving into. And perhaps we can talk about that a little bit more after the break. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break for a couple of commercials. I'm Alfred Adasker with James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. Boop 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk here with James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com. We were talking about the difference between appearances and realities and wondering, you know, is appearance reality? That was part of it, I guess. Uh, Did you have something you wanted to go into on that subject or along those lines? I did, if uh, if you wanted to follow me. I think it is important for the, the political era that we're moving into online, where so much is now taking place online and public perception is being both reflected and created there. And I think that's important to keep in mind because there is a documented phenomenon that has, I, I just off the top of my head, I have seen with, reflect, uh, with respect to the U.S. government, the Canadian government, the Israeli government, the Russian government, the Chinese government, and presumably probably every government around the world, but those are the stories that I've seen over the last couple of years that come to mind, where these governments are actually paying people, either military or in uh, just as a, a, some sort of subset of the government, to go and make leave comments online that are in support of official government narratives or against anti-government media of various sorts. Why on earth would governments governments be paying people to basically sit online and leave comments all day it is because there there has actually been scientific research on this now that that does confirm this people's perceptions of stories are influenced by the comment section comments can change people's perception of what that story Mm -hmm. is or what's important about it and more and more that this is becoming more and more understood and and more of a reflected reality as as we move forward in the internet era this is why so many of the major blogs and major sites have closed down their comment section altogether. Scientific American did this a couple of years ago, but a lot of science journals and science um, uh, websites have done this because, you know, these crazy anti-science Luddites are getting into the comment section and, you know, messing up their, their narratives, I guess. Um, But this, uh, uh, so then when we look at it in the, in the context of what we were talking about earlier with is appearance reality, I think we're moving into a political era where it is, perfectly conceivable to imagine a sort of grassroots, quote-unquote, movement arising out of this type of manipulated reality where paid government workers are leaving comments and trying to create the perception of a movement of some sort that in turn actually does end up creating genuine movement, a genuine movement of sorts, as more people actually sort of naturally adopt those attitudes. I think that is absolutely something that we 
could see happening if it isn't already happening. And I do have my questions about um, various political movements at the moment, including the, the Trump phenomenon and things that are going on there. I think that might be a perfect example of a phenomenon that was purchased at first and has become an authentic movement. Um, and we can go back to Trump's uh, initial announcement of his presidential candidacy, where people showed up wearing uh, Trump 2016 T-shirts and uh, and baseball caps and holding signs, and, you know, and at the, the very beginning of his presidency. And it turned out as when people started to to look into this and they they found the actual social media of some of the people there, these are literally paid actors who were paid to be there and wear signs. This isn't surprising. We see this in all sorts of different presidential campaigns. But I just think it's interesting to think of the ways that a fake movement can be created that then ends up becoming a real movement because people are so influenced by what they're seeing and reading online. Are people so influenced because the Internet and the online comments are so powerful? Or are they influenced because they don't have any more long-term values? Part of the idea behind being subject the appearance becoming reality, the appearance can change on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. We see things on Yahoo trending now. Here's what's hot right now. And it doesn't, and it can be powerfully hot, go viral. And yet, 10 days from now, it can be just ancient history. And the point is, what is the reality when the reality can change on a momentary basis? The reality in that sense is reflecting the is a consensus reality that is created um, by the nature of humans who, uh, I will say, are social. I won't say social animals in deference to your <laughs> what you've uh, pointed out about that term being used uh, for humans. Mm-hmm. But but uh, humans are essentially social beings, and we take our cues from social phenomena. And that's uh, I think that's healthy and good when we're talking in the sense of communities and interacting with people in real life. But now that we're moving online, I think we're still wired to be social in that sense. But now we're picking up cues from things we're reading on the screen from people who may or may not be employed by governments, but we don't know. I think that still, we still have the same reaction to that than we, as we would if we went out into you know, the cafe in town and we're sitting around talking to a bunch of people there and, and there was kind of you know, that kind of town squarish feel where everyone's talking about the same thing or reflecting the same ideas, that will, that will start to influence the way you think. In the same way, when you start to see these comments popping up everywhere online along the same vein, it will start to influence what you think. The other aspect of that is that also uh, people like winners. I mean, this is one of the big themes of the Trump campaign. You know, I, I, we're going to win. We're going to win so much, you'll be sick of winning by the time we're done winning. And it's, it's the, the phenomenon that feeds on itself. Everyone wants to be on the winning team. Everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon when it's going good. And that's, that creates that snowball effect. So we can see uh, things being, uh, movements again being created or, or, or in, uh, embiggened, <laughs> to use a Simpsons phrase, by the, the very fact that it is growing. It is the Trump train, as they call it. Or, or you know, I mean, we can look at this but in a different long? phenomenon. It's like an imaginary uh, yeah, exactly. train, and it looks big and powerful and the rest of that, and yet it can be old news. If we have government people out there trying to control public opinion by planting certain ideas and, and articles and whatever on the Internet, aren't they a little bit discouraged? I mean, they can create an image, they can create an opinion where we all believe that there's little green men landing here, coming here from the moon. 
In theory, they could get that done. But also, it's only going to stick around for how long? A few days, weeks, or months? And then a new appearance. And then there's going to be a new apparent reality. Everybody says, oh, no, it's not green, men. It's purple, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's purple. Women coming from Mars. I mean, there's got to be something frustrating. They have to be looking for a way to permanently change, or maybe not permanently, but for a long-term change in the public psyche. And are, are they able to achieve that, or does it just come and go so fast? It's, it's like rolling dice in, in, uh, in a casino in Las Vegas. From the, perspective, from the perspective of a social engineer, someone who wants to be able to program into the public any belief that they want at any time, there is nothing better than having a rootless public that will jump on any bandwagon that comes along, because then you can create any reality you want at any time. And that is the explicit aim of, uh, for example, there's the famous quote that a journalist whose name I'm not going to remember right now attributes to Carl Rove, who to told him sort of off the record at an event in Washington back during the Bush era, we create reality, and you guys out there just write about what we're doing, but by the time you write about it, we create a new reality. And that is the perspective of, I think, the, uh, the ruling power clique. And again, another place we could look for an example of that is Big New Brzezinski, uh, who wrote uh, Between Two Ages, uh, the war of the U.S. in the technotronic era, I believe is the subtitle, where he was writing that it is the aim, ultimately, they want to create a reality in which people are told at all times what to do and how to think about all manner of things so that you can't even go outside, you know, uh, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis without hearing the weathermen tell you, okay, it's raining today, you better bring your umbrella. Uh, it, it can go to that level of, of kind of, day-to-day -day mundane sort of things, but how much more powerful is that when they're talking about, you know, the, the ultimate uh, running of the economy and, uh, and war and all of these, these grand things. So I think there is definite interest in creating that or, or fostering or, or helping along that, 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 that phenomenon that's developing online where people do jump on bandwagons and people are essentially rootless and people can be convinced that, the world is flat because they saw a YouTube video about it, you know, yesterday. And uh, that, that really is happening. And I think it is documentably a part of what the, the social engineers have been listening after for decades now. Do you think these social, social engineers are approaching their work with great enthusiasm and, and excitement? Or are they approaching it with a certain amount of fear? I mean, if they can create a reality today in the minds of most people, if they can, let's type this in here, and it'll change people's minds and strange things are going to, and things are going to happen that are to our benefit, they have to recognize that somebody else can get on the Internet and type something else, insert another article that will do something exactly contrary to what the social engineers want. If the public is so malleable that they'll believe anything at any moment, you can't count on their loyalty. Is that cause for... For the masters of the universe, to, should they take? Are they encouraged by that, or are they frightened by it? These people are crazy. Yeah, they are crazy. Deal yeah, with them long enough, you've got to sit back and say these people are crazy. Right. I mean, I, I think psychopathic might be, or so, at least sociopathic might be the better the way public. to describe it. I'm talking about the public. Oh, and right. Okay. okay. The right. But I'm saying if they have no right. system of values, we can't count on anything. We could right. wake up tomorrow and they have a completely different perspective that will overthrow the existing establishment.
Well, from the perspective of the social engineers, that's just an engineering problem. And it also is why, of course, they have explicitly and on the record and in various documents over the decades called for total information warfare, total information control, uh, full spectrum dominance. With different yeah. r- words they throw around. They want to be com- able to completely control the narrative. They're not there yet. And I think one of the engineering problems is that, yes, you can try to start any type of meme or any idea, but not everyone is going to catch on. You could, I mean, do you not think the Hillary campaign is right now trying to get memes trending about, you know, how great Hillary is or whatever? You can't no. do that to a public that simply, I mean, is 100% against that. There has to be some kernel of reality within that. You can't just create completely. Well, out again, of this clock. goes to the idea. I'm wondering if these, these, the social engineering is most effective when you find out what does the public want to hear? And we'll tell them that Hillary's not necessarily telling the public what they want to hear. And if she's not telling them <laughs> they what they want to hear, her attempt to, at social engineering isn't dealing with the, the reality of the right. public's of public sentiment. They don't want to hear yeah. that. They aren't going to buy it. No. And we are becoming sensitive to where we recognize when we're being conned by people in positions of power. We have a pretty we have a growing understanding of when we're dealing with propaganda and when we're dealing with the truth. Might not be precise, but I think it's growing. Oh, I agree. Uh, and the, the the most effective lies have to have a kernel of truth within them that people can resonate with, that people can understand, that people can see, that can be demonstrated, that people already believe. And from that, you try to build things in a different direction, which is why uh, things like the Brexit vote or things like the Trump phenomenon are a genuine expression of the public getting sick and tired of the the technocrats, the bureaucrats, the, the establishment system that exists and wanting to do something against it. And so from the perspective of the social engineer, the idea is, okay, this, this exists in the public. This feeling exists. How can we use that feeling? How can we get that momentum and turn it against the, the public? And that's the real question. Uh, it's always a question of, okay, let's press on that nerve and see if we can turn it into the opposite of what the people want. And uh, they're surprisingly successful with that time and time again. Recent example in recent history, look at Egypt and the Arab Spring and all of that. Let's throw out that evil dictator and replace him with, the same military oligarchy that was ruling before. Uh, it doesn't really change unless, unless you really push it through to its conclusion, and it can be derailed so, so quickly. I've got one last subject here to talk briefly, to mention briefly. Here's something from AFP, the French equivalent of the Associated Press. Kenyan lawmakers held for hate speech. Eight Kenyan politicians are behind bars on suspicion of hate speech and the latest sign of rising political tensions a year ahead of the elections in Kenya. Now, it just surprises me that the whole concept of hate speech, I understand it's floating around here in the United States, I understand it's in Europe, but it's even in Kenya. And this is an attempt to control what people say and think. And they're even doing it in Kenya. Is it happening in Japan? Is it happening in China? Are these the first steps of eliminating free speech? Well, interestingly, there is actually a recent uh, uh, thing happening in Japan where they are trying to crack down on certain types of hate speech, free speech, whatever you want to call it, where people will drive around in these vans with loudspeakers blasting um, racial epithets at ethnic Koreans who live in Japan. And they're trying to find a way legally to stop that from happening without 
abrogating people's free speech rights in the Constitution. So that court battle is playing out. But I'm Canadian, and in Canada, there are hate speech laws, there are tribunals that can happen if someone says the wrong thing that is completely off the table politically, they can be prosecuted for it. And I think it's something that Americans maybe don't, it's like fish taking water for granted. Maybe Americans take the First Amendment for granted. It really is the the, the strongest example of free speech laws, I think, that have ever existed in human history. And the norm is for governments to, to basically outlaw various types of speech that they don't like. So it has to be appreciated to be understood to be um, protected. And I think uh, Americans should be very concerned because I think we, we definitely see a, a growing part of the public that really would like to ban various t- types of free speech that they're not comfortable with. I don't know if they do. Are the, do is a growing percentage of the we're going to we're out of time. We're going to have to let that go for another time. But the question, maybe we'll talk about it in the next next. Is a growing number of people willing to suppress hate speech or are they simply indifferent to the idea of suppressing free speech? And we'll have to leave that answer for another day. James, thank you for being on the program. Always a pleasure, always interesting. That's James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com. Visit when you have time, opportunity, and interest. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival Melody, and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, James, and uh, Frank Frank the producer. Good night. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a friend. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. 
pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $1.49. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. On the eve of the revolution, it is Wednesday, July 13th, 2016. It's about 8.08 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. I bet you didn't know this was the eve of revolution. Well, it is, folks. Look around. Pay attention. Get a grip, man. You need to get prepared. But, if you'd like to call in and participate in the show, you got something to say to the people out there, you got something to say to me, you want to share something, 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. But if you're a little shy and you don't want to get on the air like that, and I know a lot of people don't, it's intimidating. It's like talking in front of people. Well, it actually is talking in front of people. Ah, just imagine them all naked. See, that never makes any day. I don't know why that's supposed to make a difference. You know, if I'm nervous talking in front of people, what difference does it make if they're all naked or not? I mean, me imagining them all naked would make me, like, even more nervous. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in a room of naked people. What's going on? Anyway, but if you don't want to do that, you can still participate in the show, okay? You're not locked out, okay? You can go to the chat room, which is located at our website. Now, our websites, now listen, because, you know, this happens quite a bit where people go, oh my gosh, you know, they're, well, a lot of the times, there's problems where you live, there's problems with your computer, there's problems with your internet connection, or there's problems somewhere between you and us. But, you know, that doesn't mean it's everywhere. But from time to time, we do have problems with the servers, and the website is down. That's not the case right now, but it does happen. And that's why we put... Two servers out there in, you know, different places, far, far away from each other. So if something bad happens in one of the places, even in the area, it's not going to affect the other one. So if one of the sites is down, theamericanvoice.com, say, which it isn't, it's up and running and you can get there, 
tryamericanvoiceradio.com. Okay, because they're on different servers. Same thing, though. If that one doesn't work, try the other one. Now, obviously, the chat room is in one of them, theamericanvoice.com, because, you know, I can't have the chat room in two different servers because, well, that just doesn't work like that. But both of them have the streams, and being a radio network and all, that's the most important thing. I mean, the chat room's all, you know, that's fun. And it's good to communicate and be able to socialize and all that. But, you know, the main function of this network is uh, radio broadcasting. So the streams are what the main thing is and the archives. And, uh, well, even the archives is only on one server. And uh, But the streams are on both. So, you know, if uh, and the streams are not connected to the servers of the website. So... You know, you can also, if one of the streams doesn't work, we have, what is it, I think four different servers for the streams. We have seven streams and four different servers. So, you know, if one or two of them don't work, chances are something works. That's the whole point, all right? Then we have two more addresses, uh, AVRN and the number one, AVRN1. Dot com. It's really simple and easy as long as you put the numeral one instead of spell it out. A-B-R-N numeral one. And then we have A-B-R-N dot TV, okay, which is probably the most easiest, shortest, as long as you can remember TV. But, and it's dot TV, A-B-R-N dot TV. Those are just pointers, and they will point to one of the, you know, websites, Okay, they're not on separate servers, put it that way. But uh, anyhow, so that's how you can get to the website. There's a lot of different ways, and don't, you know, if something doesn't work, don't just quit, because that's why we have another address. They're not the same. They don't go to the same place. You know, it would be a lot simpler and cheaper for me to just do it that way. But I try to provide some redundancy, you know, so that we are up and running 99.9% of the time. So, you know, there you go. There it is. That's enough of that. All right. Let's get to some things and stuff. Anyway, you will see the chat link there, AVRN chat. If you don't have an account, you'll have to open an account. It's real. It's easy. You just put in your name and pick a password and put what state you're from and... Um, and you don't even have to put that. That's not required. But it does ask because, it's, you know, it's nice to know where people are from. Just the state, you know. Not, I don't need your, you know, what, what's your address. Well, give me your house number. <laughs> I don't need anything like that. Just your state will do fine. Uh, anyhow, so there you have it. All right, let's get to some things and stuff. Here's the headline. Four years ago, we were warned, something evil is coming. Now we have a full communist revolution underway, sanctioned by the highest office in the land. Yeah. What happens if Obama blankets amnesty to over a million radical Muslims now in prison? Here's the plan. 
anger Americans, provoke civil unrest, enact martial law, suspend the Constitution, and suspend the 2016 elections. Oh, well. Hmm. Get this. Squirt guns banned at RNC event zone. Real guns are allowed as Black Panthers announced they'll open carry in Cleveland. Hmm. The next week of July 18th through the 21st is setting up to be one of the uh, one of the ages for America. Fresh off the massacre of five innocent and dedicated public servants in Dallas. Oh, give me a break. You know, this is what is so stupid about reading this crap by morons. You know, I hate this, that they have decent things to say, and then they throw in this ridiculous, moronic position. Innocent, dedicated, public service. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Listen, I'm not advocating anything Black Lives Matter does, or the Black Panthers, or or the Nation of Islam, or any of them. But you know what? There is a problem in America with the innocent, dedicated public servants called police officers. There is a problem with them. Okay? They shot 1,500 people last year. Matter of fact, you know what? I've got this up over here. Why don't we look at this for a second here, if I can find this quickly enough. Where am I here? Here we go. Okay, this is not that. This is something else that ties into this. But 1,500, okay? 1,500 people they've shot last year, 2015. Well, oh, and by the way, like, you know, uh, seven, 800 of them were white people. 300 and something were blacks. 300 and something were Mexicans. So, you know, a lot more whites are getting shot than blacks or Mexicans. And yeah, you can say, well, there's a lot more whites. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, it's still a fact. Over double the amount of people shot by police are white than black. That's just a fact. That's just the way it is. That's just the numbers. Oh, okay. So, fine. You know, there's more of us than you. So, The point is, blacks and Mexicans, minorities, are not the only people being shot by police. This whole idea of, I'm afraid, bang, 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 everybody's dead, is, is, wait a minute. Am I allowed to do that? Because, okay, if I'm allowed to do that, then fine. Then you can do that. And we can have just a real nice country where everybody, anytime... We get afraid of anything. We just start blasting away. And it's okay because, well, I'm afraid. Because I'll tell you what, every time I see a cop with a gun, I get afraid. So am I able to, am I allowed to just blast away and kill him? Because, well, look at him. I mean, look at the guy. He's got a gun. He's got a taser. He's got pepper spray. He's got a billy club. This guy is a menace. He's a dangerous man. Look at him. I'm afraid. Bang, 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 bang. 
Am I, I'm not allowed to do that, and that's not going to wash in court when I say, oh, well, you know, it's really okay, Judge, because, you see, I was afraid for my life. Oh, well, then, never mind. But, you see, when you're a cop, that is the answer. Oh, well, never mind. You see, the problem is not, look, the cops aren't doing anything anybody else wouldn't be doing. Okay? You might not believe that. But it's true. And the problem is, and the reason why, is the lack of accountability. Folks, just think about it for yourself, okay? And I realize, you know, there's a a lot of people out there that are Christians, that are saved, and it's like, look, it doesn't matter who's watching, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks, I gotta do the right thing because I know God is watching. Well, you see, that is accountability, folks. Okay? As a Christian, forget the police and the laws and the rules. We are accountable to the Father. Okay? And he knows. He's watching. He sees it. And we are going to be held accountable, and we should know that. And most do. And they, and they act accordingly. Well, gee, I shouldn't lie, I shouldn't steal, I shouldn't cheat, I shouldn't murder, I shouldn't be a homo, I shouldn't do any of these things because, you know, I'll be held accountable by God. So people don't do it. Now, imagine no accountability. All right? And the sad fact of the matter is the 501c3 whorehouse that's passing itself off as a church in America has basically destroyed American Christianity to a big degree, to where really all we have left is truly a remnant. But why should this surprise us? Isn't this what the Bible said is going to happen? Isn't that what the Bible says will be left? Is nothing but a remnant? Yeah, well, hey, here we are. Welcome to the end. But imagine the people who are lost. And that, sadly, is most of America. Including the posers sitting in the pews of the 501c3 churches passing out their business cards. Okay? That's why they're in church, to make connections and to look good for the community. They probably haven't cracked their Bible open in the last 20 years, if ever. So you go out and you, 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 you become a cop and you realize, well, okay, you know, your pastor's telling you, hey, basically, if it feels good, do it because you're under grace. You can do anything. That's what a lot of churches in America are preaching. Do you know why? Because it fills up their church, man, because people love to hear that. Really? I can do whatever I want because God loves me and he'll forgive me and I'm under grace? Woohoo! Yeah, buddy! The pastor is removing any accountability by telling you, oh, you're under grace. Look, you know what? The reason any of us are breathing is because of grace. 
I wouldn't push it if I was you. You know what I mean? God's probably not real happy right about now. Because, look, the Bible says that the end times are going to be like the days of Noah and Lot. Well, uh, let's take the days of Noah. God said, you know, I'm sorry I ever created you so-and-sos. You know what? That's it. I'm paraphrasing because I believe the words were more like, I repent from creating you ever and in the first place. And I'm that's it. I've had it. I'm you know, I'm I'm drowning you all. Okay? I'm drowning you all. That's what I'm going to do except for you guys. And why? Because their generations were pure. Well, yay, that could mean a lot of different things. People have said, well, you know, that could do that could mean with cloning and you know all the um the ancient uh fables about Oh, I, I almost said avatars, but they're not avatars. They're something else, like scimitars or something. You know, the half half man, half goat, you know, uh, half horse, half man things, you know, those things. Well, you know, those are in legends and Greek mythology and all that, you know. But, hey, mythology always has had a basis, in fact. Now, it might be exaggerated. It might be overblown. It, it may, you know... There might be some uh, uh, editorial license taken in it, but it's based in truth. So something was going on. So that could be true, but it could also be just as simple as, hey, Noah's family did not mix with other races. It could be that simple. You know, your generation's pure. I would, I would tend to lean more that way. Okay, because the Bible speaks to that in several different places about how, you know, look, it's really beneficial for everybody to stick to their own kind. Now, that sound racist to you? Too bad. Take it up with God. You know what? You want to call somebody a racist, you go ahead and call God a racist and see how well that goes for you. Probably won't matter, because if you're willing to do that, you're probably screwed anyway. So it doesn't really matter what you do. Now, here's... here's Anyway, let me get to this here. 1,500 people shot by police. And, and what set me off on this is this five innocent, dedicated public servants. Are you kidding me? Uh, unbelievable, man. But l- listen to this. This is just from Chicago. And I pick Chicago because, well, Chicago has all the gun regulations that the federal government would love to put on everybody everywhere. Like, for instance, oh, you want a gun in Chicago? Well, uh, you have to tell them. Now, this is after the Supreme Court said, look, you can't just ban everything. You can regulate it, but you can't ban it. You've got to come up with something. So they did. And they say, they, they, oh, okay, well, you can have a gun. But in order to get a gun to be licensed in Chicago, you have to show them, prove to them, the reason why you need one. And it can't just be self-defense. They've, they've said, no, that, that's not going to wash. Oh, really? Okay. No, you don't have any right to self-defense in Chicago. 
It has to be something else, like I transport lots of money around all the time because of my business, or I'm a big wheel at the bank, or I'm a big wheel uh, actress or something. I'm Oprah Winfrey or something like that. That's why I need a gun, because I'm a big wheel. And you get one. But the little people want to defend themselves. Forget about it. That ain't good enough. Nah, you don't need to defend yourself. You got the police for that. Yeah, sure you do. Yeah, the innocent dedicated public servants that the Supreme Court of say have no duty whatsoever to protect individuals. But in Chicago, get this. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, victims, shooting victims. 17.6% of the shooting victims in Chicago are Hispanic. Which, I don't know, that's right around their demographics. They're about that amount of the population there, so that's, that's about right. 5% are white or other, meaning Asian or uh, American Indian or... Whatever. White and everybody who's not black or Hispanic. Okay? Gee. So white and everybody who is not black or Hispanic is 5%. 77.4% of the victims of shootings in Chicago are black. Wow. Now... Let's see here. 8.1% of the assailants, that's the guy pulling the trigger, is everybody who isn't black. Okay? That means Mexicans, that means, well, Hispanics, that means Asians, that means whites, American Indians, every other race, Muslims. Everybody else who isn't black, or should I say not Muslims, because blacks can be Muslims, but Arabs, anybody from anywhere, anybody who is not black, okay, in Chicago, 8% of the assailants are them. 13.4% are black. Now, wait a minute. 13 and 8 doesn't add up to 100 now, does it? So you may be wondering, wait a minute, what the heck's going on here? Well, guess what? In Chicago, from the innocent and dedicated public servants, 77, no, 78.5% of the shootings in Chicago, there are no arrests. Are you grasping that? 78.5% of the shootings in Chicago result in no arrest. Boy, that sure is dedicated and innocent, huh? Wow. These guys are really doing a bang-up job. 78.5%. There are no arrests. Do you know what that amounts to, folks? It amounts to no accountability. In Chicago, 
people know, you know, I've got a 78.5% chance of shooting these people and, and getting away with it, never being arrested. Those are pretty good odds. Hey, you know what? If you had 78.5% odds of winning the lottery, I bet you'd go buy tickets right now, wouldn't you? you darn right you would. No accountability, folks. That's the real problem here. We have no accountability. And not just in the law, okay? Because obviously the courts are not holding the police accountable. They can shoot. They can throw grenades on top of little babies. They can, uh, you know, go kick in the wrong door and shoot the whole family and the dog. And it's okay because, well, they were afraid and they thought they were at the right house. Oh, okay. Well, as long as you thought you were at the right house, you promise you really didn't mean to do it? Oh, okay, you're free to go. Now bury all those people over there, would you? And send the bill to the family. No accountability. And the same thing is true in the churches in America. American Christianity. American Christians have no accountability because they believe they're under grace. They can do whatever they want. You know, we are under grace. There's no doubt about that. But you know what? When you take it to the extreme that, uh, oh, we're under grace. That means you can do whatever you want. License to sin. And, oh, pastors cringe at that. Go, oh, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. That's not what it means. That, nah, 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 nah. But that's what you are saying. Sure, it takes you an hour running your big, fat, lying mouth, but that's what you're saying. You got a license to sin because we're under grace. God will let you do whatever you want because all you got to do is say, oh, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you died and went to hell to pay for my sins. I believe you rose in three days. And boom, that's all you got to do. This is what the churches tell you. That's all you got to do. You just say that. Now you're under grace. You can do what you want. You can say what you want. You can do anything, anytime. And God will forgive you because you're saved and there's nothing else that can happen to you. Yep, there you go. Bang, bing, bang, boom. You're good to go. Uh Uh-huh. How's that working out for America? Now, look, there's always been sin in America. But there was accountability. There was a certain amount of shame with sin. You know, where people wouldn't flaunt it, put it that way. You know, they keep it to themselves. They keep it private. They wouldn't make a public spectacle of their sin, like people do today. They actually have, now listen, pride in their sin. I mean, hey, did you miss the part in the Bible where it talks about pride? Okay, look, uh, I'll just give you the cliff notes on it. It's a bad thing. 
okay? It's kind of a really bad thing. What is that? Uh, a haughty spirit. Uh, and then pride come before certain destruction. Yeah, hey, whoopee, that sounds great. That sounds like a lot of fun, huh? Certain destruction? Hey, yeah, well, guess what road we're on, folks? Check the road sign. Yeah, that's where we're on. We're on the road to destruction. Because you got homos and transvestites and every freak in the world. You got organizations in America called the Man-Boy Love Association. A bunch of pedophiles. Why are they allowed to have a group? I mean, am I allowed to have a group to say, I'm the man, uh, the man-boy bomb-making club? We're going to teach children how to make bombs. How about that? Am I allowed to do that? No, I'm not. If I started a group like that, I would get a visit from the FBI pretty darn quick. Well, as far as I know, raping children is a crime. How is it that you can have a club that promotes raping children? Oh, and they say, well, it's not rape. It's just sex. Well, hey, I got bad news for you. Children cannot consent to anything. This is why you can't make a contract with a child, because they can't consent. They cannot make an informed decision. They are children. So if you have sex with one, you're raping them. Whether they said, yeah, give it to me, big boy, it doesn't matter. They can't make that decision. You're the adult. You're supposed to be the one that makes the decision and says, oh, no, 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 no. But they exist. Nobody's arresting them. Nobody's kicking their doors in. But you start a club. Hey, I'm the uh, man-boy uh, bomb club. I'm the man-boy shoot-a-cop club. Yeah, we're going to teach children how to shoot at cops. See, I'd be arrested right away, unless, of course, I named it the Black Lives Matter. No, the Black Men Boy Shoot the Cops Club. Then it'd be okay. Then I'd be an activist. Okay? Yeah, then I'd be an activist. But if I did it, I'd be a terrorist. Isn't that funny how the color of your skin differentiates you between being an activist and a terrorist? Even though you're doing exactly the same thing? Isn't that something? Wow, what a great country. I guess we live in a nation of laws where everybody is equal under the law except some people are more equal than others, right? Like all the protected classes we have of people. Homos, women, blacks, Hispanics. Oh, let's just make it easy and say everybody except white males is a protected class in America now. In the nation of laws, where the law applies equally to everybody. And everybody is equal under the law. <laughs> really? Oh, and then there's the political class. Let's not forget them. See, because it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what sex they are. They are 
the political class, and they have titles of nobility to where, hey, they can they can be involved in espionage. They can be involved in murder. They can be involved in uh, every criminal activity you can imagine, and it's a-okay because they really didn't mean to do it. They didn't mean to hurt anybody. Even though, well, there's, you know, a couple million dead Iraqis, but, well, we didn't really intend that to happen. Really, we didn't. Who could know that, you know, just blowing up depleted uranium all over the country would poison generations to come? Who, who would know that? How could we know? Yeah, sure. Genocide. Add it to the list of crimes, okay? But it's okay because they're in the political class, and they're not accountable. You see what happens when people are not held accountable? They go crazy. It's like a kid. You let them get a... What's that saying? Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. It's a fact. It's a truism, okay? That's why that saying still exists. If it wasn't true, people wouldn't still say it. But it's true, You don't make people accountable, and they will lose their minds eventually. Because why? Oh, the Bible again tells us why. Because our hearts are continuously wicked. All of us. It's a sad day, but we got to take a break. I'm way past break. Way, way past break, but I'm going to take one anyway, so stay tuned.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, July 13, 2016, about 8, 8.52 and a half. Pretty late. Took a late break there. Anyway, we're back. First song was by a band called the Bad News Blues Band, and that, of course, was the Kinks singing Low Budget. I'm not going to give the phone number because it's too late to call in right now because i got some stuff I want to finish, which I don't think I will, but hey, i got to try. You can go to the chat room, though. It's located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the link, AVRN chat. Just follow the instructions. It's all there. All right, let's get back to this. The uh, innocent, dedicated public servants, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, heightened race relations all across the country with ongoing calls for violence against law enforcers and whites. Cleveland, Ohio, will suddenly be cast into the spotlight on the global stage of, with the Republican National Convention coming to the rock and roll capital of the world. As if we needed any more evidence that next week could quickly spiral out of control, we learned today that the chairman of the Black Panther Party has warned that his group will carry guns for self-defense during protests at the Republican Convention next week. Why are they even going? Are the Black Panthers Republicans? Why are you going to the Republican convention? You know, while we know you don't like the Republicans, we know you don't like Donald Trump, what do you think you're going to accomplish in Cleveland except cause trouble? And, oh, oh, wait, that's the thing. And remember, don't forget that the Black Panther Party and Black Lives Matter, have met with White House personnel to coordinate their attacks on whites, okay? That's right. That's right. That racist in the White House has conspired with Black Lives Matter and the Black Panthers to kill whites in Cleveland. You watch. You'll see. 
permitted by Ohio law. While new Black Panther Party chairman, there's nothing new about the Black Panther Party. They're the same terrorist group they were back in the 60s. Hasim Nagziga, Zinga, Nzinga, Hasim Nzinga, really? Condemned the shootings of five law enforcement officers. Yeah, boo-hoo, I bet he's crying. In Dallas last week as a massacre and stated that his group played no role in the attack. Liar. We hear that the first video below from the organizer of Huey P. Newton Gun Club that he could understand why the violence in Texas was carried out. Look, you know what? I can understand why the violence in Dallas was carried out. No, really, I've been saying this for, uh, what, how many, what, a year now at least? And I haven't been saying it as a threat. I've been saying it as a warning. I've been trying to encourage the police of America to back the hell off or they're going to start getting hunted. But they didn't listen. They just kept shooting down people and getting away with it, like in Baltimore. I could name a hundred places. Oh, I was afraid. Oh, you're free to go. You were afraid. That's all you got to do. I was afraid. Well, there you have it. And now here we are. So, yeah, I understand. What I don't understand is why it isn't happening more. But to tell you the truth, I, I don't get why it doesn't happen all the time. But, hey, Americans are truly a long-suffering people, just like they said in the Declaration of Independence. That people would rather suffer through indignance, you know, that then change stuff they're used to. He also stated that the shotgun is a political tool. Well, that's a different way. You know, that's a different way of saying, uh, what, what's that saying? Something comes at the end of a, a barrel of a gun. Freedom. Justice? What? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, he says shotgun is a political tool. Yeah, well, okay. Then this writer, who I don't know if this is some kind of, you know, sissified Democrat or something, why would anybody justify such violence against innocent human beings? Uh, oh, innocent, really? Oh, really? Why would anybody shoot a guy in the back while he's trying to run away from you? When you've got radios and, and herds of police to hunt the guy down and surround him and stop him. Nah, it's just easy to blow a hole in his back and put him down like a dog. Why would anybody do that? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask your local cop why would anybody do that? Because they do it all the time. So don't give me this BS about innocent. The cops are not innocent, folks. They are not innocent by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I'm not justifying Black Lives Matter because they got their heads so far up their dark spot, it's not even funny. Because they think this is all about them. This is all about blacks. This is all about race. Well, it isn't. Okay? You're an idiot. You've been played, stupid. All right? Yeah, these blacks think they're so hip and cool and they got so much street smarts. They're a bunch of morons if they think anything in this country is about race. 
Nothing's about race. It's about money. It's about power. It's about position. Do any of you black people out there think you could get away with what Hillary Clinton did and not be in prison? Because I couldn't. Nobody I know could. Do you think you could? No, you couldn't either. And you sit there and go, oh, I want to kill white people. White people are the problem. Yet you're going to support Hillary Clinton? You're going to support the party of Hillary Clinton? Are you kidding me? You don't get any whiter than her. Hell, I'm white and I don't even like her. Okay? Oh, but she's fine. But some white guy you've never met, you don't know nothing about, is okay to kill because he's white. But Hillary Clinton, well, I'm going to vote for her. Morons. Okay? Morons. And yes, I do realize the leaders of these groups are not morons. They're shills. They're doing the bidding. They're running an agenda for people in power because they figure they're going to get benefit from it. But their followers are all morons. Well, I'm looking at the clock, and I am out of time. Can you believe it? (laughs) Can you believe it? I'm out of time again. This clock, man, there's something with this thing. All right, well, nevertheless, I... I do not have the power to change time. You see, that that's left to places like, you know, the Catholic Church and stuff. They can change time, and they can change the calendar, and they can do all that. But not me. I can't do that. So I'm just going to have to go. And I'll be back again tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening. And, folks, prepare. Get ready. We're in for a rough ride. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Israel actually plans to exterminate the entire Arab Muslim population of the world. And the Muslims know this. And this is why the jihad, jihadism and their excesses have some basis in reality. Now, they're trying to survive because they know, they know that Israel simply is interested only in genocide and exterminating all the Arab people, uh, bringing them under, under complete domination. And uh, the Israelis are always exterminationists. Are they creating a Christian-Muslim war? Yes. That's all deliberate. See, there is no Christian... There is no Christian-Muslim war. 
Now, I have filed legal papers in this town here before in a law case that I have going on, in which I say, frankly, that a billion Christians and a billion Muslims are now at a war to the death with each other, and the only victor will be the state of Israel, because Israel is getting rid of all of its rivals and all of its competitors at once fell swoop. It's a brilliant move, <laughs> and it's also totally uh, calculated and ruthless. Is the real enemy Israel? Uh, yeah. Our Zionism, world Zionism. Uh, the state of Israel is nothing. It never has been. A, it's the tiniest state in the world, yet this is the most important state in the world. It's the most important state to the entire United States government because they put the, the interests of Israel before every other consideration, including the United States. dominant intellectual of the 20th century and four of his uh, protégés have been named the uh, have been given the Nobel Prize for Literature after he edited the work and the first one is T.S. Eliot he, he first edited his poem The Wasteland in uh, 1920 in Paris and that became the most famous uh, poem of the 20th century it's not mentioned very much today but uh, in the 30s and 40s Every college student could recite the wasteland. And uh, that's how uh, young men would pick up girls, is by talking about the wasteland. They'd get interested and go to a bar and have uh, sex. So it was very very useful. (laughs) And after the wasteland, he became Ernest Hemingway's mentor. And he edited Ernest Hemingway. And he made Hemingway's uh, prose very crisp. And... uh, Hemingway had been a hack newspaper uh, writer for a, a, a firm called, it was a newspaper called the Moose Jaw Herald in Saskatchewan, Canada. That was his stellar background to become a writer. And uh, so Pound took his material and tightened it up, and uh, he just had a knack for doing that. He could edit anybody's. See, the people, his protégés were all very dissimilar uh, people. T.S. Eliot was a very stuffy Harvard graduate. Ernest Hemingway was a doctor's son from Chicago. His father committed suicide, and he committed suicide when he was 61. And I think one of his sons has committed suicide. So they have a knack for it. And uh, so that was two of his protégés. 
And then William Butler Yeats is one of his, in all the anthologies. Uh, when Pound met uh, William Butler Yeats in uh, London, he was a very, very famous poet at that time. But he was writing uh, stuffy Victorian poetry. And so Ezra was horrified by that, and he got him totally out of that and into more modern poetry. And so he became much more famous, and he got the Nobel Prize for that. And then his fourth, fourth protege was James Joyce, who wrote uh, uh, Ulysses, one of the most famous books of the 20th century. And uh, Pound edited that, and James Joyce was a terrible writer, and uh, he edited his uh, prose, and that became the most famous book of the 20th century. Uh, it was um, Ulysses, was the Bible of the 1930s. Everybody talked about it. And so there was four Nobel Prizes uh, for literature for one writer. It's the only time in history that a writer has ever had one project get the Nobel Prize for literature. And uh, by coincidence, I'm his last living protege. They're all dead, long gone except me. And uh, so I'm patiently waiting my turn. And Ezra Pound himself was never uh, named for the Nobel Prize, although four of his pupils were, simply because he never... Uh, cultivated the establishment. He never, well, in the 1930s and 1940s, you really had to be a very active, outspoken pro-communist to get anywhere. So, of course, he was totally ignored by everybody, except the public. The public liked uh, his work. And uh, his novels were all bestsellers. They made a movie of uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. That's the most famous uh, book. But he actually wrote some others that were quite good. So Ezra had these four protégés who got the Nobel Prize when I met him, and he really jumped on me and started uh, whipping me into shape. And uh, he assigned me to go to the Library of Congress and see what I could find out about the Federal Reserve System. Well, I really had a knack for research, and I found out the entire history of the Federal Reserve System, which is the greatest swindle ever known in history where a group of private bankers conspired criminally to take over the money and credit of the United States, which they did in 1913, and they passed the Federal Reserve Plan through the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C., and uh, it became a law of Congress. And this law handed over to this private bank uh, all of the money and credit of the United States, which was a pretty good day's work, and they've kept it ever since because they set it up as a monopoly so that the stock of the Federal Reserve Banks could never be traded publicly. It could only be handed down in a family. Or if a corporation bought the bank that owned it, they became possessors of the stock. You've never been able to buy, since 1914, you've not been able to buy a share of Federal Reserve Bank stock on the market anywhere. And um, that is monopoly. That's what they have. It's a monopoly. You see... They're totally insulated against anyone buying control of the Federal Reserve System. And John D. Rockefeller was one of the biggest holders, and he had his stock uh, placed under the Rockefeller Foundation, so it can never be bought or sold, so it's secure forever. And the other uh, people who bought control in 1914, they were the Schiff family and the Warburg family, and of course they still have their own uh, family. Uh, fortunes, and uh, they can they have a controlling interest in Federal Reserve Bank stock, in various Federal Reserve Banks. It's not all 
in one Federal Reserve Bank. It's in a number of, of Federal Reserve Banks. And I think most of the holders of the Federal Reserve Bank have at least stock in at least five of the Federal Reserve Banks. What are the consequences of having the Federal Reserve control the monetary system of the United States? Well, the consequences are very important, and they're never discussed by any economist in the United States. The Federal Reserve Bank is a central bank. And a central bank, this is not taught in any uh, economics class in the United States or in the world, a central bank is a bank of issue, which has the right to print all the money it wants. That's what a bank of issue means. You can print all the money you want. There's no control over it whatsoever. And right now, the central, the Federal Reserve Bank is printing trillions of dollars, which are almost worthless, and uh, they're looking for hyperinflation, actually, <laughs> because uh, it'll be a repeat of 1924 in Germany. But I think they've taken some precautions that probably won't happen because they've been through all that. They know exactly what will happen. And in hyperinflation, the money becomes worthless to the point where you have to have a wheelbarrow full of currency, paper currency to buy a loaf of bread, which is normally worth 18 cents uh, at that time. So uh, they don't want to go through that again. So they're taking care of that. But the Federal Reserve has printed so much uh, of this paper fiat currency, debt money, that uh, it's overloaded the world. China and Japan have trillions of dollars of our so-called national debt, which is our currency. And, um, of course, they know that when it goes, it goes. <laughs> when a currency becomes worthless, then nothing's more worthless than a currency becomes worthless. So uh, they're staving off the inevitable by... Uh, hedging and uh, doing what they can, but uh, once you buy this debt, this uh, paper dollar currency, you're stuck with it unless you can find another sucker to take it off your hands. And there's nobody right now who wants to, who wants any part of it. So China and Japan are stuck with it, and they bought this currency to maintain trade with the United States. That's all it was for. So in effect, we're financing our our tra trade with China and tra trade with Japan by our Federal Reserve currency, which is neither federal, it's not federal, any more than the Federal Express Company is a federal company. And it has no reserves because it doesn't need any reserves because it prints its own currency. If you could print your own money, what, what do you need of reserves? You just go and warm up the printing press and uh, turn out another $10 billion. So, uh, and fa finally, it's not a system. It's called the Federal Reserve System. It's not federal. It has no reserves. And it's not a system, but I'm the only person in the world who's ever defined it in my works as a criminal syndicate. And that's what it is. It's a criminal syndicate, just like the mafia, which is one of its subsidiaries, and uh, the CIA and all the criminal syndicates work out of the Federal Reserve System. So that's what a Federal Reserve System is. A central bank is a uh, group of bankers which have total control of a nation's economy. And they print their own money, print as much as they want to, and uh, it eventually becomes worthless and uh, through speculation. See, a central bank is set up for speculation. The Federal Reserve System was set up solely for speculation, and its author, Paul Warburg, who was a partner of Kuhnloeb Company in New York, which, by the way, financed the Communist Revolution, financed the Hitler Revolution, and financed uh, the Japanese uh, entry into World War II. So I defined in my work 
uh, that a central bank's principal role is for war finance, because war finance is the most profitable enterprise you can get into. And so uh, if you're a banker, you're looking for the best investment you can make, which is a war. For instance, the Iraq War. <laughs> now, when they set up the Iraq War, Halliburton uh, and Company, which is all oil production company, <clears throat> or an oil equipment company, actually, but it finances the big um, oil explorations. And uh, they found out that uh, all companies found out that a war is the most profitable investment you can have. During World War One, Rockefeller, uh, out of his patriotic goodwill, uh, upped the price of uh, oil five times to the U.S. government. That's how we won the war. And uh, that's how he became, he was already the richest man in the world. <clears throat> and uh, the richest man in the world wants to become the richest man in the universe which is your next step, and apparently made that. So that's when it comes. People wonder why a billionaire wants more money. Now, H.L. Hunt's <coughs> sons, and four sons, each one of them started off life at 21 with a billion dollars at that time. And as you can imagine, they haven't thrown it away. <laughs> so they were, on paper, they're worth about $2 billion apiece at the present time. But uh, who knows what their holdings are. How was the Federal Reserve set up? Well, it was set up as 12 districts. So we had 48 states in the United States at that time. So you would think that the logical way would be to set up a Federal Reserve Bank in each state and have the 48 Federal Reserve Banks. But instead, they, they carved the United States into 12 districts of their own, which they called uh, Federal Reserve Districts. And these 12 Federal Reserve Districts are actually the government of the United States. They override the states, and they override the federal government. And uh, not many people know that. They don't know that this is the Federal Reserve System of the United States, uh, the Federal Reserve Districts. Why didn't the American people rise up or say something about it? They didn't say anything about it because it was a hidden conspiracy. Uh, now, I'm always called a conspiratologist, and I... People say, I see conspiracies everywhere. But as I told a reporter for the Dallas Morning News a couple of years ago in a front-page story, I said, I've never had to, con to invent a conspiracy in my life. There are more conspiracies than I can possibly write about. So it's not a question of seeing conspiracies under every bed. It's a question of seeing conspiracies in every commercial activity and every political activity that goes on in this country. Because they always have a hidden agenda which means that the conspirators have to keep their identities concealed. And it's always criminal in nature because they always have some criminal objective to obtain by operating this conspiracy. That makes it all persons involved in a conspiracy to, for a criminal purpose automatically become criminals, criminally liable. And that is the case of everybody who has anything to do with the Federal Reserve System. They're criminally liable for uh, participating in a criminal conspiracy. And there's no other definition that you can make because under law, a person who is involved in a criminal conspiracy is a criminal. And that's uh, the, the upshot of the whole thing. Nothing more does he said. Why doesn't Congress control the money? Well, Thomas Jefferson and the writers of the Constitution specifically designated the Congress to control the money. 
and they designated that the um, monetary unit of the United States would be gold and silver. There is no specification anywhere in the Constitution for paper money. And what the Federal Reserve <coughs> Conspiracy of 1913 did, <coughs> it uh, made lawful a uh, paper currency which the Constitution did not authorize. But they passed it through Congress, so it became public law of Congress, and that made it official that uh, the, the Federal Reserve dollar became the uh, monetary unit of the United States as paper currency, which totally defied the Constitution, which provided that only uh, gold and silver could be the monetary unit of the United States, and that only Congress would control the monetary unit of the United States. So it was doubly unconstitutional at its, out, at its outset, and it's become more unconstitutional every day since. Is there any gold left in Fort Knox? No one knows. I worked with a man named Edward Durrell who spent quite a fortune of his own, probably $100 million, trying to prove that there was no gold in Fort Knox. And apparently he finally, I was able to prove it, but they never published the fact that it's not there. And they have a number of congressmen go to uh, Fort Knox, and they led them deep into the bowels of the earth, about 50 floors down in elevators. And there they were shown uh, through iron cages, they were shown some stacks of what were supposed to be gold bars. And they said, that's the gold stock of the United States. But the congressmen were not allowed to go into the, past the gold bars, uh, the gold, uh, the bars of the gold bars, and uh, they were not allowed to, I think they were, they finally extricated one gold bar and handed it to them, and they more or less could see there was gold, uh, which you cannot determine except by a chemical assay. And uh, so a congressman was handed a gold bar, and um, he agreed this is the entire gold stock of the United States, and that is the only uh, acknowledgement that we have gold in Fort Knox. What is the difference between a gold or silver-backed currency as opposed to a fiat currency? Well, fiat currency is paper currency, which is backed by paper money, which is what uh, the Federal Reserve dollar is. Uh, and I, I say in my book that Congress in 1944, during World War II, when the American people were occupied with the war and so forth, Congress in 1944 hurriedly passed a law removing the last gold and silver from the backing of the U.S. dollar. So since 1944, the uh, U.S. dollar has been a, a paper-backed money issued against paper bonds. It's paper on paper. Uh, paper. So that, that's the st uh, status today. The, the, United, uh, the United States dollar is more or less the trading currency of the entire world. It's totally worthless. <laughs> has no backing of any kind. What's wrong with paper or money? Well, you can take a Federal Reserve dollar bill and go to any store in the United States and buy a dollar's worth of goods. And so it's worth a dollar. It's accepted as a dollar. But it's accepted, credit means, I believe. So that means that any merchant who accepts a, a Federal Reserve dollar says, I believe that this is a real dollar. <laughs> That's all there is to it. It's still a piece of paper, green paper, which is worth what any green paper is. You could I figure yourself, uh, you can take a, a sheet of green paper and you can clip that um, $800 to uh, $100 bills. 
Um, so monopoly money is monopoly money. It's the same as uh, the game monopoly. What's wrong with central banks? Uh, you have to understand that all the settlers who came to the, to the America, including my ancestor William Mullins, uh, were fleeing European oppression, and this oppression was primarily uh, government officials working for private banks who were oppressing the people, charging them too much interest to usury, and uh, taking their homes and property because they didn't have enough cash to pay off the debt. And so people finally fed up and set sail for the United States to get away from this. So, of course, every settler who came to the United States was totally against banks because they were running away from banks. That's why they came here. So obviously they, didn't, they did not welcome the idea of setting up banks on U.S. soil. They were firmly opposed to it. And Charles Lindbergh capitalized on that sentiment of the American people when he led the fight in Congress against the Federal Reserve System in 1913. And um, his son, Charles Lindbergh Jr., became a very famous aviator and a world figure. And his entire public career, he never mentioned the Federal Reserve, which his father gave up his political career for he was run out of Congress because he voted against the Federal Reserve System. Every congressman who voted against the Federal Reserve System in 1913 was run out of Congress the following year. New York banks sent in uh, somebody to run against him, and they were lavishly financed with printing press money, and uh, they put him right out of office. And there's never been since 1914 anyone in the Congress, except one or two isolated incidents, We've never had anyone in Washington who would criticize the Federal Reserve System. Just as on television, you, you never have a radio program which will criticize the Federal Reserve System. Of course, you have three competing networks there who are ostensibly economic rivals and very de dedicated rivals, and they, yet they totally agree on everything like the Federal Reserve System and foreign policy and so forth. We've got to defeat Hitler and we've got to defeat communism. We've got to defeat uh, uh, Nazism. Well, uh, if you ask the average man in the street in the 1940s if he wants to defeat communism, he says yes, because his newspapers and his politicians tell him we've got to defeat communism. At the very time of the Cold War with communism, the United States taxpayer was totally financing the Soviet Union which had been insolvent since 1917 and which had been maintained by the United States uh, taxpayer ever since. And Woodrow Wilson, who was born about three blocks from where we're sitting, uh, initiated this system of financing uh, the Soviet Union in uh, 1917 when he voted, Congress voted him a special emergency war fund of $100 million dollars which at that time was the same as about a trillion dollars at that time, uh, to prosecute the war against Germany. And he took uh, $10 million of that, 10 of it, one-tenth of it, and sent it to Russia to help the Bolsheviks in Russia. And there were no Bolsheviks in the United States Congress. So why did the U.S. Congress authorize him to send them $10 million? Well, they've been doing it ever since. It's only been... What is that reason? Uh, because bankers consider communism 
and dictatorship is a good investment. A banker considers a dictatorship as a perfect government because everybody is totally controlled. And uh, if anybody objects to paying high taxes or to paying debts, uh, you can put them in a concentration camp or execute them, which Stalin did in Russia and which is the, uh, the perfect system. No banker will ever tell you this. Oh, well, David Rockefeller did during the 1940s. He said the reason he was so pro-communist at that time was because the communists collected their debts at the point of a gun, which he didn't say, but that's why they do it. <laughs> and uh, that is why dictatorship remains uh, the ideal of all, all bankers. What is the main mission of the Federal Reserve System today? Well, my book, The World Order, goes into that quite extensively, which unfortunately is out of print. But uh, I found out when I wrote that book that the main uh, mission of the uh, banks was to start wars. And I found out also that it's very difficult to start a war. If you want to start a war with Iraq, uh, go ahead and try to do it. It's, It's very tough. And it takes years of hard work. So Bush had a great advantage because his father was head of the Central Intelligence Agency and a worldwide drug distribution uh, operation. So he had plenty of money and plenty of political influence. He had no trouble at all to walk into Iraq, although Iraq had never fired a shot at the United States. You see, you declare war on another country when they invade your country and try to take your territory. There has to be some very good reason to have a war because... You can understand that uh, it's very difficult to get millions of people to run out and kill each other when they have absolutely no bone of contention whatsoever. In fact, all the wars have had... See, that's why Ezra got into this entire thing, and that's how he got me into it. He was living in Paris during World War I, and he had many young writers and artist friends who were drafted into the armies, and uh, some were for Germany, and some were for France, and... uh, uh, they were killed. And he couldn't understand how these great talents, very brilliant young men, uh, died for nothing. And when he spent years of studying the situation in eight languages uh, all over Europe, he found out uh, that bankers make wars to create debt. And that's the only reason. And that's the only reason. That we went to war against Germany in World War One and World War Two at a time when by by census, 52% of the population of the United States was of German origin. So this is like a civil war. <laughs> the bankers, the central banks of Europe, and the, uh, they, couldn't make, uh, they couldn't have World War I. They'd been wanting World War I since 1885. But the central banks of Europe had already bankrupted every country in Europe. It was impossible to have a war. They didn't have enough money. There wasn't a country in Europe, England, France, Germany, Russia. There wasn't a country in Europe which could finance one day's war anywhere. So that's why they were conspiring in the United States to get the Federal Reserve System passed because the Federal Reserve System was uh, conjured up simply to make World War I possible. Without the Federal Reserve, there would never have been a, a World War I no American would ever have died in World War One, So you can say they were murdered by the bankers because that's the only reason they were there. 
So you say that they don't start the war, but they conspire to make it happen? I mean, they make it happen, yes. How do, you, how do they do that? I mean, well, they do that through worldwide conspiracies, through Masonic uh, uh, and other secret brotherhoods all over the world, which operate as criminal conspiracies, the Mafia, uh, the Masons, and uh, the Jesuits, and so forth. There are always these uh, underground groups, which are very profitable. When you get into one of those things, you get into very profitable situations. And when you're in one of these organizations, uh, you become very wealthy yourself. Yeah. Al Capone became one of the richest people in the United States. And he complained to the newspaper men. He said, I'm just like any other businessman. And he was. <laughs> All businessmen were like him, but they wouldn't admit it. <laughs> Is the United States government a corporate banking criminal enterprise? Well, it's a conglomerate of various criminal enterprises. There are many criminal inter- enterprises in the United States. Some are quite large and some are quite small. Is but the uh, government a criminal enterprise? Always, always a criminal enterprise. Because the elections are completely staged and manipulated from the beginning to the end. The candidates are chosen through a very careful uh, process of someone who will thoroughly agree with anything they want to do, foreign policy and economic policy. There are two, fa- two ways you're on, you, you govern a country, and that's through economic policy and foreign policy. Because as far as a country itself, it's a limited operation. The United States is limited to the uh, borders of this country. Is the U.S. monetary system controlled by the Bank of England? Oh, yes, it is. I, I, I say that in my... Uh, but the subtitle of our book, Secrets of the Federal Reserve, is The London Connection, in which I prove conclusively that uh, London still runs the United States. See, London is still the world market of the world bankers. Not Washington, not New York, and not Tokyo, and not Berlin, but it's uh, London. <laughs> George Bush went public after I published this book. It was it had been published for about a, almost a year, and, and I'd sold maybe a hundred copies because I never advertised my books. They were never reviewed. Nobody paid attention to it. And George Bush Senior was president at that time. And in November of whatever year it was, he started going on the television and talking about the new world order. And of course, the only book on the world order is my book. So I sold out immediately which was very disconcerting because I have no publishing company and I had to go and print another edition. And uh, so it's out of print again right now. All of people are begging for copies. In fact, they sell copies on the Internet for uh, very large sums because it's the only book. <laughs> what, is the one, what is the world order? The world order is a, a conglomeration of people who agree on the same goals and they run the world. So it's a conspiracy of, uh, of bankers and politicians and political leaders, and uh, uh, it's mostly a very well. It's what uh, is loosely known as capitalists, and a capitalist is not a person who makes capital. He's a person that has capital, and he can make investments. And that's what a capitalist is, and he makes investments that make money, uh, more money. And that's all capitalism is. You invest in things that make more money than you have already. So 
when H.L. Hahn was the richest man in the world, he was buying whole radio networks. Uh, in fact, I helped him set up a, a television network, and he was going to have his own television network. At that time, there were still three networks. And he was going to set up a fourth because he had so much money that there was no problem for him at all to set up a television network. And it's a good thing for him he didn't do it because uh, he would have been murdered if he had uh, started his own television network. He would have lived six months because that is real power. They didn't care how much money he made that uh, he was he was the richest man in the world. But it's when you take over the uh, levers of power that, that you become dangerous. And when he had his own television network, he could have ruled the whole world. So he would have been killed, there's no question about it. Why is it that people don't seem to care? Well, in the 1930s, scientists wondered how uh, Hitler could rule Germany and Stalin could rule Russia. These are vast territories. Uh, he could rule with practically no army. And the answer was, they had discovered during the 1920s that adding sodium fluoride to the drinking water made the people very passive. Stalin found out that in his concentration camps, where you have to have guards, I mean, nobody's there because they want to be, uh, that uh, by adding sodium fluoride to the drinking water to camps, or the gulags, uh, he could uh, reduce his uh, guards by an average of four. You only need one in four, 25% instead of 100%, which comes to quite a bit of money. Uh, sodium fluoride is a byproduct of the manufacture of aluminum, which is a very complicated, well, you have it in Florida. It's a very complicated uh, manufacturing process. And uh, a byproduct of the manufacture of aluminum is sodium fluoride, which is a very dangerous chemical and is very expensive to uh, dispose of. So uh, somebody came up with the imagine, imaginative uh premise that maybe uh, sodium fluoride could be used to add to water and maybe it would help to, uh, prevent cavities in children and their teeth. There was never any study conducted on this and no proof whatsoever that this was true, but Congress, with the judicious application of bribes, passed a, a, a bill enacting sodium fluoride addition to water supplies all the United States. And we have not a revolution since. And we had one party government ever since. Why did America get involved in World War II? Well, it was inevitable because World War II was simply a rerun of World War One, exactly the same cast of characters. And in fact it was the same person, Colonel Mandel House, whose father was a Rothschild agent during the Civil War. And um so uh, uh, the senior house managed to uh, have run, uh, runners, privateers, uh, bring cotton from the south to uh, the British uh, uh, mills so that they could operate during the Civil War. So he made a lot of money, of course. And at the end of the Civil War, uh, Colonel House was the only person in the state of Texas who had any money. So he... 
took over the entire uh, Democratic Party in the southern states, which were occupied territories and still are. You still have uh, two political parties in the South. Uh, they're called the uh, Carpetbaggers and the Scalawags. The Carpetbaggers are the uh, uh, Republicans, and the Scalawags are the Democrats. And you have exactly the same government that you have had in martial law in 1865, with the same uh, people running everything. It's the perfect setup, because everybody knows each other, everybody agrees with each other. There hasn't been a political contest in any southern state since 1865. Is there a difference between carpetbaggers and scallywags? Well, there is a difference. The difference is in the name. One group calls themselves Republicans, and the other calls them Democrats. The Republicans, the Republicans are not Republicans, and the Democrats are not Democrats. As I say, they're carpetbaggers and scallywags, but they're, they're not known. The press doesn't use those terms because it's offensive to some people. Some people would be offended by that. Was the United States ever really a true republic? I don't know that we were. I really do not. Because um, the people who rewrote the... Uh, we, we started off with the Articles of Confederation. See, that's where the Confederacy comes from. Because when the southern states seceded from the Union, they were exercising the prerogative which they had been given during the uh, Articles of Confederation... Uh, to secede at any time. You see, the Article of Confederation gave every state complete autonomy over its own, own power, over its own people. And so the southern states in 1860 decided to secede from the Union, which they had a perfect right to do. But in 1787, they rewrote the Articles of Confederation, and um, it was actually a secret convention of Masons in Philadelphia, and they rewrote the Constitution to create a federal government, uh, mainly for the borrowing power. The bankers wanted a country which could have a borrowing power and which could pay back the money. And that was not possible under the Articles of Confederation. The United States... Uh, colonies, when they won the American Revolution, they set up a governing uh, document called the Articles of Confederation of the United States of America. And that was our sole constitution. But then these Masons got together in 1787 and said, we need an um, instrument of federal power, and we need an instrument able to borrow money and repay it. And that's why they re rewrote the Articles of Confederation, and that's why they did it in secret, because they didn't dare tell anybody that that's what they wanted to do, to set up a dictatorial federal power, which the Supreme Court was invented to maintain federal power. The Supreme Court always says uh, that uh, the rule of law is the United States. Well, the rule of law is simply the rule of bandits who will control the United States. That is the rule of law. And if, if you violate that law, you'll be killed. Where are the Articles of Confederation located? No, the Articles of Confederation, I have never seen a copy of it. It's hidden somewhere if any copies exist. 
Who wrote the federal government has no power over any citizen of the United States? That's for me. I'm the only one who said that. What is that? What is that? Where, where did that come from? Well, that's the um, betrayal of the Constitution. That's my latest book, the last book I wrote. And I simply said in there that the general welfare of the United States, Roosevelt, passed, the Supreme Court passed his Social Security bill and all of his other bills under a false premise that the general welfare of the United States um, provides for this. Well, what, the, what it actually says is that uh, the government shall provide for the general welfare of the United States, which upheld the original Article of Confederation, which said that each state has complete autonomy. And therefore, uh, the bill for the general welfare of the United States is the, the bill upholding the Articles of Confederation. But they've perverted that, that the Constitution says that uh, you have to uphold the general welfare of the states, which is what it says. And all of the government programs for citizens are totally illegal because only a state has the power over a citizen. The Washington government has no power. The, the Washington government is in the seat of government, which is Washington, D.C., and it only has authority in the 24 square miles of the District of Columbia. and has no power on any state in the United States. That is why Governor George Wallace of Alabama uh, threatened to arrest FBI agents who were creating revolution in the state of Alabama, which he had every legal right to do as a governor of the state of Alabama, because Washington had no power to send an FBI agent into the state of Alabama without Governor George Wallace's permission, which they didn't have. Is the dictatorship of the federal government the reason George W. Bush is in office today? Oh, yes. That was simply a plebiscite, actually, uh, just like Hitler had in Germany. In, 19... in fact, uh, the, whole, the uh, Bush family has very deep ties to Nazi Germany. Oh, yes. Well, in fact, uh, the United States government in Washington has carried out many of Hitler's policies, which he was unable to do because he didn't rule long enough. He had on his plans to bomb the nation of Yugoslavia before he attacked Russia because he knew that he had to uh, knock off the Slavic population in Yugoslavia before he would be able to attack Russia. And uh, so he launched an attack against uh, Yugoslavia, and time ran out on him on June the 4th, 1944, when he attacked, uh, uh, on June 42, it may have been, uh, when he attacked Russia. He had to attack then, although he had not yet subdued Yugoslavia. And so uh, a loyal Nazi named uh, President Bill Clinton finally carried out uh, Hitler's plan of attacking Yugoslavia, and he bombed it into oblivion. <laughs> that was carrying out the original Nazi program. Because certainly the people of Arkansas, where Clinton was from, had no interest in bombing Yugoslavia. And I could give you many parallels of government action in the last 25 years, which is carrying out the policies of Adolf Hitler. Who financed Hitler's war? A good friend of mine, Tony Sutton, wrote a book called Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, and he wrote a second book 
a book called Wall Street and the Rise of Bolshevism, which uh, I had a friend now, Tony's dead, but uh, the books are absolutely authentic, and it absolutely proves that every step of Nazism was financed by Wall Street bankers, and every step of communism was financed by Wall Street bankers. And the Wall Street bankers are tied into international money lenders? Well, they're tied into the consortium of central bankers of the entire world, the Bank of Italy, the Bank of Japan. And so, um, well, these are people who've learned to work together, so they do very well. How is the Bush family tied into World War II? Well, I always have to start my lectures on Bush by pointing out that the Bush family itself has no background at all. The Bush family was, uh, <laughs> had worked for the Harriman family, and Jacob Schiff at Kuhn Loeb Company, which I mentioned earlier, uh, he financed uh, John D. Rockefeller in the um, Standard Oil in New Jersey, which became the World Oil Monopoly. And he financed the Harriman brothers in the, the Northern Pacific Railroad, which developed the whole western half of the United States with tremendous uh, uh, property rights along the right-of-way of that railroad, which made it probably the richest corporation in the country. And so um, <clears throat> the Harrimans, of course, made billions of dollars. And they, as really wealthy people did, uh, they had to have somebody to finance, to handle their money. So they hired a young couple, uh, a young uh, family, the Bush family, who were Wall Street operators. They became their money managers. And that's all they did was manage uh, money for the Harriman family. And so, um, by the way, Avril Harriman became uh, a world agent for the bankers, and his exploits were memorialized in a series of books by Sinclair Lewis, who was a very popular novelist in the 1930s, uh, about an uh, invented character. He called him Lanny Bud. And this was a very wealthy young man who traveled around the world on a first-hand uh, knowledge of uh, world leaders. He was welcomed into their offices and uh, directed policy for them. And Averill Harriman actually wound up, from 1942 to 1944, Stalin had had a nervous breakdown when Hitler invaded Germany. And um, they had to send Averill Harriman as the, the world agent of the world bankers to Moscow as ostensibly as U.S. ambassador. And he went into Russia and uh, was the actual dictator of Russia from 1942 to 1944 because Stalin was uh, totally immobilized by his nervous breakdown. And so the whole World War II would have collapsed if Averill Harriman hadn't gone in and kept it going by uh, running Russia from behind the scenes. And, of course, at that time, Russia was fighting Nazi Germany. So theoretically, Averill Harriman and the United States were uh, Nazi Germany's biggest enemies. And finally, the Russian army didn't uh, sweep through Germany and conquer Hitler. But that was done through Avril Harriman. There was nothing that Stalin accomplished whatsoever. <laughs> but nobody knows that. But uh, this is the connection of the Harrimans with uh, uh, Hitler. They actually defeated Hitler. But what they did, they laid Germany waste and it became a, an American colony. 
our colony of the world bankers, and has been occupied territory ever since. Both Germany and Italy, uh, I mean Germany and Japan, have been totally occupied countries since 1945. Can you talk about your book, The $5 Trillion Cold War Hoax? Well, the $5 trillion Cold War hoax, though, was exposed by uh, Norman Potteritz, who's one of the big Zionist uh, propagandists in the United States. He was the editor of Commentary in New York City of the American Jewish Committee, which was the unofficial Bible of world Zionism. Uh, Commentary carried very serious uh, articles by respected writers on economic and political things. It was like the uh, Foreign Relations Council on Foreign Relations publication, Foreign Affairs. These were the Bibles of people in the State Department and in Congress to read the they had to read these articles to know what was to do. And that's how they got their instructions. And um, so, anyway, Norman Potteritz published his autobiography uh, a few years after the Cold War, and he stated in the, his autobiography, which was for the elite, of course, the average person would never read it, he stated very, quite frankly that the only purpose of the Cold War was to arm Israel to uh, fight uh, the Arab nations. We're in Iraq today because Potteritz armed Israel in the 1940s, 50s. See, all this came out of the Paris Peace Conference at Versailles in 1919. There's a book called 1919, uh, Paris and Versailles, and that's a very important book. It tells you everything that was done at the Versailles Peace Conference, and one of the main things was a, a very vigorous Zionist conference at the World Peace Conference in uh, 1919, and the Zionists got everything they wanted, including Woodrow Wilson, who was a very ardent Zionist himself. So he put Brandeis, who was the head of the World Zionist Organization, uh, which was a very powerful position, he put him on the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, that's when, when Wilson put Brandeis on the Supreme Court. That is when the Supreme Court became the operating instrument of the world conspiracy right there. And it's been that ever since. And that's why they voted to put George Bush in the uh, presidency, because uh, they do anything that they're told to do. Could George Bush be indicted for war crimes? It's more or less disinformation. There is no indictment. There is no indictment going to be handed down. And all, all of these things are simply making George Bush more secure in office He's almost ready to become president for life because there's no opposition whatsoever. The Democrats have been totally shattered. They have not a single candidate, and I don't know what they're going to do. And the Republicans don't even have a candidate. They're talking about McCain, who's the biggest phony in the United States. He's married to a mafia princess in Arizona, and he's rolling in money, and he has all the prestige in the world, and he has 100% media cooperation. Uh, you would think he's Frank Sinatra because the, the media swoons every time McCain appears anywhere. <laughs> could Zionists make George Bush a so-called leader for life? Well, I think it could happen very easily because we've, we've elected uh, uh, puppets uh, ever since 1900 when the bankers really took control. Well, he's got advisors who could change that very easily and then could know exactly how to do it. There's certainly certain regulations you'd have to follow. And uh, you can make him president for life. Don't forget Napoleon made himself emperor for life. Napoleon was a complete nobody. 
you got to remember that the American people are drinking fluoridated water every day, so they they can't object to anything. <laughs> so easy to uh, uh, do because 9/11 was a step in the right direction, and they can repeat 9/11 at any time, like the Murray Building bombing in Oklahoma City and the Waco Holocaust of burning a church, an entire church uh, congregation alive in their own church, uh, which Hitler never did in his worst years. But uh, we welcomed it in this country. The CIA will support any dissident group, no matter how far out you are. If I had started a religious group or a political group at any time during the last 50 years of my career, I would have immediately gotten CIA support. What do you mean support? Uh, financial support and political support. You'd be allowed to operate. And the FBI would not come down, come in and shut you down tomorrow morning. Because that is only done by orders from Washington. Well, they like to have fringe groups all over the country of any persuasion. Uh, they really don't care what you believe or what you do as long as you do something. Uh, they're uh, used to manipulate the population. Because some people are going to be very enthusiastic about whatever goofy things these people espouse. And other people are going to be fiercely opposed to it. So right away you've got uh, opposition and conflict right away, which uh, is just handed to you on a silver platter. You don't have to do anything. All you do is turn these people loose and have them attack each other, and you've got a war on your hands. Do you think the Zionists are planning a war in the United States? Oh, yes. Well, what I think is that they're having problems right now because uh, the fluoridation of the water and... Uh, the medical establishment has uh, made the children in schools so passive and the working people so passive that they don't object to anything. They didn't know even, there was no opposition at all to going to war in Iraq, which was uh, the flimsiest thing we've ever done in the history of this country. Because Saddam Hussein had never fired a shot in this, in this country and he never posed any threat to the United States of America. There was not one American in the United States who was afraid of Saddam Hussein. And our army goes marching into Iraq and uh, pulls down his statues and throws him into prison. And they have a problem with trying him, which is that he had been a loyal asset of the CIA for 40 years. And uh, it's hard to get rid of one of your most faithful uh, <laughs> officials over a number of years. He didn't just appear on the scene two years ago. He's got a 40-year history with the CIA, which most of the employees don't even have. I mean, what's it all about? Well, all of the uh, foreign policy organizations in the world, at the end of World War I, uh, the Rothschilds organized a number of uh, groups called, one was the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London. It's called Chatham House. And that is the think tank of all of Europe today. And although its headquarters in London, the real headquarters are in Brussels, which is the headquarters of the Lambert family, which is part of the Rothschild family. And there, Brussels has been running the world uh, since, you know, we had an ambassador to NATO for many years because NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was headquartered in Brussels. And of course, there's no coincidence that was, it was headquartered in Brussels, the headquarters of the Lambert family, which is part of the Rothschild family. It was simply a family uh, company. Who do international bankers support for their control? 
NATO and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs are all very heavily financed. And uh, if you become affiliated with them in some minor capacity, you'll have uh, an annual salary of, say, $100,000, unlimited expense account to travel around the world on missions and stay at the most expensive hotels and uh, charge accounts at the most expensive uh, shops to buy your clothes and so forth. And in other words, you become part of the international elite, and you live like a millionaire, whether you have a dime of your own or not, it doesn't matter. And they will pay all these expenses until you make one mistake. If you give one wrong interview or say the wrong thing publicly, why, your history, that's your last day. And no one will ever hear of you again. And that happens quite frequently. What do the corporate bankers have to hide? What they've got to hide is their affiliation and control of all these foreign policies organizations. See, we have the Foreign Policy Institute and uh, Foreign Affairs, the think tank uh, magazine of the World Policy Organization, and all these are very expensive operations. And uh, so they're all run by very trusted and faithful employees, and they do their job every day. They're at the office every day. They don't... uh, uh, run out on you, they don't rat on you, anything, they're dependable. And they have that job for as long as they live, and they know that. So they do their jobs, and uh, they do whatever they're told. And it doesn't matter how goofy it is, you can do something as goofy as uh, invading Iraq on the basis of information about uh, WMDs that do not exist, weapons of mass destruction, uh, and get away with it, because... uh, these people are accustomed to doing really goofy things that nobody in their right mind would believe in one minute. And they're very serious about it, and they have the background. They're, they were, are people like president of Harvard University or president of Yale University. Or, uh, uh, they use a lot of corporate presidents, like the, uh, the Aluminum Company of America president, and people like that, General Motors president, who has stature, and they can do or say anything, and nobody challenges them whatsoever. And that's what uh, reputations are for. They're for people they can use. For instance, I've been a world-known author for 50 years, and yet my name is almost completely unknown, except it's all over the Internet, because on the Internet, they have no control. But in the, in the world media, on television, you'll never see me on television, because I've told people repeatedly that when you see anybody's face appear on your television, that means that that person is totally safe and totally owned by the uh, establishment. Who controls the United States government today? Well, it's a conglomerate of various criminal enterprises. There are many criminal enterprises in the United States. Some are quite large and some are quite small. But the government uh, a criminal enterprise? Oh, it's always a criminal enterprise. Because... The elections are completely staged and manipulated from the beginning. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.